Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Live in the 415 from the historic Warfield. At the southeastern edge of the Tenderloin in beautiful, foggy San Francisco, it's the Men in Blazers This Cup's for You World Cup Tour. You gorgeous peninsula of wonder. Oh, what an honour it is to love be a with you. Peninsula of wonder. What well, we do both love. It's a thing that first bonded us. Peninsulas I know, we of love wonder. peninsulas, but peninsulas of wonders. And we love nights of nights like tonight. A night in which we say goodbye to an old friend. England. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that, Rog. I thought I was getting fired live on stage <laughs> at the Warfield. No, I bring on I a huge. Like, Mate, I'm going to bring on a huge cannon for that, big boy. Oh, be good. Like, not, that, by the way, if that ever happens, yeah. take me out on a cannon. Is it I really? Like I gave you a choice of a cannon or a burning Viking longboat. You chose cannon, right? Every time, maybe onto a longboat <laughs> and then fire out. That would be good. Um, a lot of emotions today. All the emotions, ones that I experienced when I boarded that steamship and set out for America back in the day. And we'll also celebrate the little train that could Morocco. By the way, if we were here last year and I said that, there would have just been complete silence. Now you're all like showing up with your Atlas Lions <laughs> tattoos. Yeah. The joyous collective who have become today history makers, wonders, the first African team to ever make the World Cup semi-finals. It's incredible, Dave. Incredible. It's incredible. Incredible. Apropos of nothing, the United States did it in 1930. The Morocco of their day. <laughs> and talking of incredible, we have a pair of guests tonight. I've got to tell you, backstage, it's been alive in the green room pre-show. These guests you will not want to miss. Two of the greatest GFOPs, celeb GFOPs of all time. Moneyball Muse and proper, proper football brain in a bottle, Billy Bean. <laughs> and the other, the soundtrack to our Premier League mornings, 
the one and only Rebecca Lure. Rebecca Lure! Is it even a Men in Blazers tour if the mother of dragons does not make an appearance? Before we get into it though, Rog, we want to talk a little bit about this magical city and give thanks to Tuana Briones de Miranda, founding mother of San Francisco, who settled here in the early 19th century, known for her entrepreneurial spirit, as you all know, her skills as a healer, her ability to navigate the perpetually shifting waters of mid-19th century California property law. She looks a bit like Connor Cody. <laughs> the best Miranda since my producer, Miranda David. This is a city whose history has redefined American culture as we know it time and time again. Hate Ashbury, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Bloody Airplane, Castro Street, Full House, <laughs> Uncle Jesse, God bless. By the way, Mary Kay and Ashley, you tell me that they're not the American IU brothers. Nobody knows. Nobody knows who's who. Nobody knows. <laughs> Sight of some of the greatest triumphs of American cinema. Yes, Dave, we're not talking Vertigo, not the Maltese Falcon, not Dirty Harry or Mrs. Doubtfire, which incidentally were the only two references I had for San Francisco as a kid. By the way, I'd not told you this, but when I first came to San Francisco, I lived by a, uh, in a home that uh, was next door to Robin Williams' house. Oh. And every morning... At about 7 a.m., he would raise up his Williams family flag, which was a monkey turning over and exposing its arsehole. And it would just flap beautifully above the neighborhood. What an incredible, incredible human being. But I'm not talking about any of those movies, Dave. They're each terrifying in its own way. No, Rog, we are talking Tommy Wiseau's The Room. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! By the way, can we just say, The Room, which I adore, as you all do, I just love how every time Wickham play in the FA Cup and there's cutaway shot to their manager, Gareth Ainsworth, it feels like the English tribute to that great San Francisco masterpiece. You're tearing me apart, Ian Doc! <laughs> That is a lot of belt. Yeah, but you would. You would, though, wouldn't you? Not my type. Not my type, Roger. Uh, this is a city of life-changing culinary experiences, Roger. Primed rib. Cream spinach, mashed potatoes, baked potato, top of our juice, the Brazil 1982 World Cup squad of meals. You would, though, wouldn't you? You would. And, of course, San Francisco is a city of true sporting royalty. Joe Montana to Dwight Clark. Gr greatest catch since 22. Your the fuck all... is number 58 doing, just standing there watching? <laughs> I know. It's like a Greg Berhalter coach defender. He's just ready for his bounce pass. <laughs> You're all comma-smiting Golden State Warriors. Led by that greatest of all Mo Salah superfans, Steve Kerr. 
and a rich tapestry of American football history, Bay Area, home to some of America's greatest soccer heroes, Michelle Akers, that lion mean pioneer of women's football. Brandy Chastain of the iconic Sally. And who could forget Chris Wondolowski, the most Californian man to ever California. He's so high in that photograph. <laughs> Rog, not sure if you've heard this, but there are some rumblings about uh, San Francisco getting an NWSL expansion side up here. <laughs> Commissioner Jessica Berman, we're looking at you. But until oh. then, we send our love to the Oakland Roots. And I'll tell you, they are all that is great about grassroots football in the United States. I revere them from afar. A truly beautiful, authentic club of wonder. By the way, we're sitting so far from each other right now. This is the furthest we've ever sat away from each other. This is getting larger every single week. This is like a scene out of Downton Abbey at yep. this point. <laughs> it's true. Would you pass me the pepper meter? <laughs> you know, by the way, we wanted to have this table so that David could be in San Francisco and technically I could be in Oakland. <laughs> All the bases covered. Uh, <laughs> this is like how Vladimir Putin does his meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Uzbekistan, fuck you. <laughs> I am very happy to be fucked, Commissioner Putin. Thank you. Don't look me in the eye, you bitch. <laughs> Apologies. Fuck me again. San Francisco City FC, come on, you Northsiders. Are we carrying on with the script? Or are we still doing yeah, the Vladimir no. Putin? I like I liked us doing some Putin amateur theater. I yeah. enjoyed that. <laughs> oh my God, San Francisco. What a blessing it is to be with you tonight. We are like day 187 of this World Cup. We're a little loopy. I've been on the laughing gas and we are here to celebrate football. We're here to revel in the beauties of your incredible city. And we're here to celebrate football um, in your beautiful city. And we're going to do it together tonight, David. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, we've got to get a photograph, though, Roger, uh, to officially get this night of nights underway. Uh, please rise, San Francisco, for a photo. Hold up your ESPN signs, and we're going to get a photo. You're going to get to look at Roger's ass. Okay. Atlanta. Everybody uh, calm down. <laughs> Rog, kick us off with a twist, please. I think my fly was open in that photo. <sighs> oh, God. I want to open by raising my third first bud of the day to this moment. We are, and this is a really a dark moment and a dark note to hit, but we have to hit it. 
24 hours on um, since we heard the news of Grand Wall's passing. And I just say it doesn't make it feel any less shocking, any less of a trauma. It doesn't make it honestly feel any realer. Uh, 48 years of age, too soon. Grant was a good human being who strove to do good. Um, he loved football very, very much. You know, he'd often, if you followed him on Twitter, he'd often tweet the phrase, I'm fired up. And he was always fired up. I mean, he was fired up about, you know, the, the NCAA playoffs. He was fired up about the Under-20 World Cup. He was fired up about the Boca River Derby. And that's who he was. He truly loved the game we love. And I remember when he tried to run for FIFA president and everybody thought that it was a joke and a gimmick and um, it was like a thing of early internet shtick. Um, but he really, really did want to become FIFA president. And I know this because he, A, he truly wanted to try and reform it's who he was, the systemic challenges in the game that we love. But I was on Morning Joe, and um, it was the South Africa World Cup, and they had the South African FIFA president um, uh, who came on the show. And I got a call just before I went on, and it was from Grant Wall, who I didn't even know very well back then. And he wanted me to ask this gent if I could persuade him to nominate Grant to become FIFA president. And sadly, the answer was no. <laughs> hello person I don't really know, would you nominate somebody I don't really know to be leader of, uh, of the FIFA Congress? But that's who Grant was. He was really a truly tenacious, persistent gent, a gent who was foundational for everybody involved in the US game. And one of the first, I said this last night, full-time American soccer journalist in the modern period. And he made others realize, looking at him, looking at what he did, that we too could make a life in this field, in this nation. But he really was the first and most visible for the longest time. And his loss is shocking for so many reasons. I just say the suddenness, the location, the context, it's really unfathomable and it feels unknowable. And the trauma um, that those around him, his family, his friends are feeling. You know, also everyone who's out there in Qatar right now, speaking to a lot of our friends who were there so far from their own families, it's really a time of, of challenge. And I want to really, I ate for the journalists who were around Grant in the press box yesterday and then had to return to another mm. press box today, one in which he was not. And so I said the past 24 hours, I've been listening a lot to a song that's probably the one I've enjoyed most this year, 100% Endurance by a Leeds band called Yard Act. And the song only sounds like a Tyler Adams tribute. It's actually a beautiful song about the meaningless of life and finding meaning amongst the meaninglessness of it all. And I just want to end this toast uh, with some of my favorite lyrics. It's actually from the climax of the song. And it says, death is coming for us all, but not today. Today you're living it. You're really feeling it. Give it everything you've got knowing that you can't take it with you and all you ever needed to exist has always been within you. Give me some of that good stuff, that human spirit, 
cut it with 100% endurance. San Francisco, big love, courage. Nice job, Roger. Okay. You wanted the, to- the heart thing. The heart yeah, thing. look, all I'd say, there are lots of uh, questions um, and speculation about the circumstances, which none of us know, none of us have any idea about. One thing we do know from the EMTs were on the scene that there was a cardiac situation. Uh, as somebody who has a congenital heart condition, I've said this before on Men in Blazers, to every man in here over the age of 35 and to every woman over the age of 35, I say, go to a cardiologist and get your heart checked. Um, it is something which could save your life. Any cardiologist, my cardiologist said to you, my job is to have you die of something else, not of a heart attack. I want this to be another doctor's problem. Um, <laughs> and I will be another doctor's problem uh, now. Dr. So, Joe. Please, everybody in here, I've said this to men in Blazers GFOPs before, go and see a cardiologist. If there's a cardiologist here right now, very good time to hand out your cards. Also, just to be clear, Dr. Joe is not a cardiologist. Dr. Joe is not a licensed cardiologist. He's not, he's not board certified. He may have opinions. Yeah, he does. But like many of his other opinions, <laughs> they may not be relevant to the situation. Okay, what Grant would want us to do right now is talk about the football. He would be talking about the football tonight. That's what we're going to. And oh my word, what football we have to discuss. La France, de England, one. Wow, a game that carries Kendall Roy levels of emotional baggage for fans of both teams. A clash of cultures, of history, of body odors, of ideology. (laughs) And it's France that comes out on top. They took the lead in the 17th minute when Aurelien Chermenet picked up the ball so French from range and blasted it past Jordan Pickford's tiny little arms. He He got a hand to it, which was amazing. England did respond, though, Roger. England responded. We've not seen this thing called England respond before. Uh, They really showed their mettle. And in the 54th minute after the cutest little Ewok of all time, Bukayo Saka, was hacked down in the box, Harry Kane thrust home the penalty. He never misses. Never misses. (laughs) Never had a moment of doubt. Never had a moment of doubt on the first penalty that he was ever going to miss this. But the game flipped on its head yet again. And talking of heads, it was the meaty, gorgeous, you would, wouldn't you, French forehead of Olivia, I would, Olivia Giroud, that made it 2-1 off a teasing Antoine Griezmann ball in the 78th minute. But then, again, England come back. That is so not English. Just six minutes later, after a comically absurd challenge on Mason Mount, (laughs) the ball was going nowhere near him. Harry Kane blasted a penalty over the bar against his teammate, Hugo Lloris, and England fall in the quarterfinals while La France march on. Next game. Next game. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Morocco. Okay. That's very in-depth. That's good. Let's now go back. I realise France-England, in the words of producer J-Dubs, he called it the original Army-Navy game, (laughs) which which I I love. 
This felt like an epic heavyweight rumble. And it also felt like, in many ways, the moment of truth for this period of the Gareth Southgate era. Team that possess an aura that England do not, the ability to overwhelm opponents. You know, they go from, not just from a footballing perspective, but they, they go from like ASMR delivery sensory overload um, to just like insane, potent wonder, those cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Um, I mean, I'm facts, just quoting groundkeeper Willie. Yeah. But the... the these, this was the first elite nation that Gareth Southgate's England were really going to uh, face at this World Cup. Could they plan for Mbappe, the golden boot contender, who Matty Cash played him in the previous round, and he said, playing him, I felt my legs burning, which is an incredible wow. thing for a professional footballer to admit. Could they balance risk and caution, the old conundrum that had seen them oft in their last three tournaments. To be fair, Matty Cash does have quite a lot of experience of his legs burning in the Aston Villa frat house when Greels <laughs> used to light them on fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just lighting my farts and I'm hearing my legs. his legs! How did you feel before kickoff? I mean, you were there emotionally. I was completely objective and neutral. Look, I said, <laughs> so objective. I said, uh, I said yesterday that I felt that the team that won this game was going to win the World Cup. And I still uh, believe that. I think either of the teams that have won this match would have won the World Cup. I felt that this was going to be like the World Cup final. And I was nervous before it, but I was set up. I thought this was going to be 3-2 or 2-1. I knew it was going to be a high-scoring game. I couldn't have called it which way. I know the bookmakers had it going to France, but I've gone both ways on it. But I was, I was nervous. But I was also looking forward to the spectacle because... For once in this World Cup, I just kind of knew this was going to be a good game of football, and it delivered. You know, before kickoff, I did an Insta Live, and one GFOP, I can't remember who it was, and I apologize, they wrote that the only thing that's certain is that England will go out in the most traumatic way possible. <laughs> and little did I know what was about to occur, but that, that turned out to be prophecy. <laughs> but I... I was feeling optimistic. It's so funny. Kickoff. Even when we don't lose on penalties, we find a way to lose on penalties. Yeah. It's just amazing. Creatively. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I was feeling optimistic. <laughs> it was like, yes, France had the best player, Mbappe, a young man who was truly born to greatness when you understand the trajectory of his story. But England felt like they had the deeper, more talented squad, and both teams, unchanged, began optimistically. Credit both managers. This was audacious optimistic football, Kane attempting to instigate, Griezmann flinging himself into every opportunity to create, Dembele looking to skin shore every opportunity. But then, 17th minute, Saka bounced off the ball by Upa Meccano, France so ruthless on the counter, running at what Ray Hudson would call, at warp speed, he's running like he's got a food mixer down his shorts and it's set to beat. And let's take a look at the most got it lads that ever got it. Mbappe waiting for it, top of the box. Griezmann instead. Choumeni wants it. Choumeni scores! Is that not the most French celebration of all time? 
watching that, it made my sphincter tighten. And I don't care. I don't care about either of these teams. No. The ball just flung around by Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembélé, upstep, Chouamani, with derision. The idea of England's elite defensive midfielders just lashed that ball, lashed it through the legs of Bellingham. Honestly, that goal to me was as devastating as an arrow sent directly into King's Herald's eye at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. You're right, you're right. And if you've seen the Bayer Tapestry or watched the highlights on YouTube, you have... You have seen that, but similar, before the arrow went into Harold's eye, there was some young archer who was illegally fouled at the other end of the battlefield <laughs> and shouldn't have been, you know, it should have been a free kick to the English army. Yeah, we, but would that's, have, that's... we would have won 1066. I'm talking about 1066, not yeah. this game. Yeah, but in those days, as they say, when they did the post-game show on the Battle of Hastings, yeah. they just say, that's war, motherfucker. I mean, but uh, also VAR back then, VAR took a long time because they had to go to another tapestry and they had to make the tapestry. And it was like 1074 by the time they got the results. Yeah, and then there was like bubonic plague just yeah. destroying everything. So by the time VAR Complicated. Came, the Mike Dean of the medieval ages was like, guys, I'm just waiting for them to fucking invent electricity, okay? Yeah. Okay. But it's a terrible moment. France had won 11 of their last games in a World Cup when they take in the league. England had not been behind all tournament. Even though they lost nil-nil to the USA, I found that very confusing. Well, yeah. I've got to say, they seemed undeterred. Southgate had worked with psychologists to install processes. I find this amazing, to install processes. We don't have psychologists in England. Where did he find them? It's Dr. Joe. They use Dr. Joe. <laughs> By the way, how do you find a psychologist that can work with Jack Grealish? Well, if you've seen the video, the reel about the camel, <laughs> it could have been the camel. It was the camel. So Check that's YouTube. how they work with them. They just, the camel is your friend. The camel yeah. is nice. Do not fear the camel. Mace knew it was a real camel. What did you know? <laughs> But Southgate, this is, by the way, when you do look at that video, you're like, what kind of psychologist could have worked with this team? It must be genuinely amazing. But he had put these processes into play. And honestly, it showed because they were fearless. This game was already intense. And England responded by turning it up to 11. They were honestly playing well. They were flinging themselves into the dance. Kane had a chance, smothered by Lloris at the moment. It felt like Tottenham on Tottenham violence. Ref just let everything go. Saka hammers tongs, <laughs> anvils with Griezmann looking to agitate whenever there was transition. And Dave, I don't like to do this because I believe referees, we want more of them in the game. We want to encourage them in the game. We want people to step in at the grassroots. Yeah. But I do want to, and I don't like to name names. <laughs> For that Brazilian bastard, Wilton Sampai. <laughs> It was honestly, it was such a, it was like an Andy Kaufman-esque performance. It, it was. was just like, it was just like he, just so much peyote had been ingested before going on, which is never a good thing for refereeing. I mean, he was like stopping the game for non-head injuries. Um, he was just like, that's fine. Oh, that's not fine. Oh, that's on Saka. That's totally cool, guys. And 
It was, I do want to say it is remarkable at such a high-level game to see a referee referee his first game ever in his career. And it, no, it was like it was like he was guessing on every decision. But you'd think he'd be right 50% of the time. But he managed to guess every time, and he was wrong constantly. And the English fans eat their revenge in the way that only football fans can by assaulting his Wikipedia page. <laughs> by the way, this is the polite one. If you're listening on the podcast, it says, Wilton Pereira Sampio is a French fan and a Brazilian football referee. He's currently under investigation for falsely not awarding a penalty to Harry Kane after he was assaulted. There was one where it just said, we didn't want to put it up because there's children here, um, where it just said, Wilton Pereira Sampio is a sheep shagger. <laughs> Dave wrote that one. But I, I checked his age, though. <laughs> yeah. He's only 40 years old. Yeah, that's in Freddie Adu age it, yeah. end years. They're bigger than dog years. The, the decision-making has aged him. I do want to know, half-time, how did you feel? England were losing. England were also playing bloody well. Yes, they needed a little more pace in the final third, speed with the ball. But England were dominating midfield, Roger. We've never seen an England and England dominate and midfield in an major elimination game against an elite team in an World Cup or an Euros. I think it's this un, is the I best. Think, I think it's Oon. Oon. Oon midfield. Yeah, Oon. Oon midfield. It was, uh, excusez-moi, uh, it was a, it, it was something that I'd never seen as an England fan in my entire life. We were talking about this earlier that my 11-year-old son has only seen an England that got to the semi-finals of the 2018 World Cup, the finals of the Euros, and now in the quarterfinals. He's used to seeing England boss a game. For me, this is like, this is not what I signed up for as an Englishman. <laughs> it was like, it was remarkable to watch Bellingham just like gliding around the field, like making tackles, hitting balls, hitting it with his shoulder. You've got like Declan Rice charging at everything with that mad gait of his. And uh, Jordan Henderson just, I mean, I think he was playing football. He was mainly yelling at people. Um, <laughs> But he, he does that really well. There's about 20 minutes in that first half when he was running around with a brick in his hand looking yeah. to just maim somebody, and I loved it. Yeah. They are proper terrified of Jordan They Anderson. are. They are. It might be the sole reason. It's Gareth Southgate's secret weapon. He just puts him out there to terrify his teammates. When I look at Jordan Henderson, the Duke of Wellington once said about his soldiers, um, he said, I don't know what they do to the French, but they scare the shit out of me. And when I look at Jordan Henderson, I can tell that Gareth Southgate feels that. And I kept telling myself, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. We're 1-0 down. But the French were 1-0 up at Agincourt at halftime too. Yeah. And looking at Southgate, I'm like, what crucible of pressure that man is under. Like, he knows if England lose, he's going to get it most probably. And how could he adjust? What adjustments do you make under that crazy tabloid testament of fire? Um, to me, I would have subbed in King Henry V and the Duke of Wellington. Yeah. But the second half continued as the first half ended. England, full throttle, no bottle. Bellingham spanking one at Lloris. At William of, F of VB tweeted, the French thought they were also safe at Meurs el Kabir. That's a deep cut for you, history fans. <laughs> 52nd minute. I love that. If you've watched World War II in colour, then you'll like that one. When you, can, when you can tweet in a deeper cut than even Roger can come up with, you make the podcast. I just say, like, we don't talk about El Kabir enough. But 
Tom Burley's like making a note, must buy El Kabir for 80 yeah. million. Don't know what it is, but he sounds like yeah. a good one. Um, but a 50 second minute, Saka, so bloody brave. Can we hear it for Saka? Yeah. Devo. France had kicked the crap out of that kid, right? Yeah. And we yeah. just kicked the crap out of him. But then NBA Jam style, he's on fire, charging yeah. down the right. The French suddenly just murdering their Tommy Johns. And he cut in. Chuamani left one out, brought him down. Finally, a foul so blatant, even that Brazilian ding-dong had to give it. <laughs> <laughs> and David, this is fascinating. Kane stepping up against his club teammate. Oh. It was friend against friend, Ami against Ami. They'd know each other so well. This was like De Niro and Pacino in that Heat dynasty. Oh, we meet again. Yes, you bastard. Each other, they knew each other. I mean, they know, like, Lloris like, knows where he's shooting. Kane knows where he's diving. Lloris knows that Kane, when he's nervous, likes to pick his nose, roll it up, and flick it at people. They know each other. Ref tried to ice Harry Kane to no avail. Let's have a look. Kane scores! A man who could never miss a penalty. Look at him. Never misses. Never misses. English Justin Tucker. 53 goals. Some way to equal England's all-time goal-scoring record. Look at this guy, David. This is the English reaction. What do you see when you see that? Do you know, we did a show in Los Angeles last night, and there was a Millwall fan who came and spoke to me. uh, uh, I love it. We're booing Millwall now. This is amazing. Um, That's that's how tribal English soccer is. Um, And there's a Millwall fan who came up to me, and I'm pretty sure it was that guy. I don't know how he got to Qatar that quickly. I just love this guy. This guy used to have an empire, a queen. Three series of Downton Abbey, was it? Four series of Downton Abbey and the football. And look at his little face. Now he just has the football and he's doing fine, thank you very much. And I do love that Qatar gave free tickets for Battle of Britain veterans, Dave. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, you know what we're going to find out? We're going to find out he's one of the lodgy, the Lebanese ultras who was paid to go to game. Yeah. He's like, this is how English people dress, isn't it? Yeah, it's Mr. Q. <laughs> England's confidence, though, soaring. <laughs> Saka, Foden, Kane, taking it in turns to charge at the French back line. Is that watching them? The Ornette Coleman trio, David. They were magnificent. Yeah, they were brilliant. Uh, all over the park, people with performances. I mean, Harry Maguire, much maligned, you know, uh, pantomime donkey. Harry Maguire playing superbly. Like, across the, uh, across the entire park, England players matching... I would say a superior French starting 11, but matching them player for player all over the park and just outplaying them in for large parts of the game. And the French have been playing reactionary football. It's hard to just flick that switch back on again and start to instigate. And just this, the Foden and then Kane and then Saka just charging them. I won't be candid. I'll just only say this to you guys. Don't tell anyone. Because there was a moment in the game when I actually started to pity the French backline. I felt sorry for them. Like, England was so searing. Giroud and Mbappe had hardly been mentioned by John Strong. And Mbappe! then... Mbappe! 
meaty French forehead did this. Wow. He's been once more. Hooks it in. Giroud scores! I mean, I can't boo him. I can't boo him. I can't boo him. Not because he played for Chelsea. He also played for Arsenal. But he's just... He is so good at football. He is so bloody good-looking. And he's stepped up in a massive moment. Let's face it, the ball from Griezmann was just otherworldly. And, you know, I do believe that nations are just constructions. We're all human beings. We're bipeds. We live on the same planet. It was otherworldly, the ball from Griezmann. And uh, at the key moment, Giroud and symmetrists, you're going to love this. He scored his 53rd goal for his country right after Harry Kane had scored his 53rd goal for his country. Breaking records, both of them. It is just unbelievable that this happened. I mean, I mean it is amazing. Giroud body Maguire crashed ahead of bottom left. Lil Picky, who just parried Olivier, had no chance. Those who don't Giroud history are doomed to repeat it. <laughs> that man, holy crap, can we just say, time and time again when his team are in need, he just gets buckets. He is, he's Olivier Buckets. And yeah. I do believe this sincerely. If he wasn't so irresistibly good looking, he would be hailed as an all-time great. He's cursed. He should cut off his eyebrows like Tessa the Durbervilles yeah. to try and mask his beauty. England, though, responded tenaciously again. 82nd minute, Theo Hernandez in a foot race. An innocuous foot race with England substitute Mason Mount. And wow, David, I don't know, what it, what, how would you describe what he did? Because to me, it was like targeting 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really go for the ball. The, the ball was like, it was in like one of those like spot the ball like competitions. The ball wouldn't even be in the picture. It was nowhere near. Yeah, the ball was so he, far away. I think it ended up in the exact place Harry Kane would later put yeah, the penalty. Yeah, exactly. You're fair. Fair. But he, uh, Mason Mount, I don't know what he did to induce that penalty, but it's fantastic work by uh, the young Chelsea player. Mason Mount gets pulled to the ground. You know, we've got to say the Brazilian ref didn't see much in it. Yep. <laughs> Not for the first time that day, the Harry Kane foul on the edge of the box in the first half, the Bakaya Saka challenge earlier. I mean, didn't see anything. You yeah, said that's just a mugging. That's just a Wednesday afternoon in. Uh, yeah. In, in Fortunately, the tapestry artists at VAR doing electronic tapestry could work uh, quicker. And, uh, and indicated to the ref he should take a look at the screen. The ref and took a long look at the screen, trying to create a way for him not to give it as a penalty. But in the end, he awarded that fateful penalty. I think, he, I think uh, he couldn't quite understand the English when they screamed in his ear and goes, listen, motherfucker, that was the most penalty thing that ever penalty. <laughs> 84th minute, upstepped. Harry Kane again, he never misses. A gent who has told us that he visualizes penalties the night before games and then practices it multiple times the day before. But he also admitted he only visualizes one. <laughs> <laughs>
So the challenge was, when I watched it, I'm like, I knew that, and I'm like, oh, crap. So the guy has to actually think. <laughs> Can I ask you this, David, before we watch what this movie? Thinking. Would you have sent another point? Would you have sent another player up, another penalty taker, to avoid having Cade go up against his own club teammate? Or were you just like, no, Harry Cade, he's a killer, he's a machine, he's a record holder, he's unflappable? I mean, look, yeah, in hindsight, I would have sent Harry Maguire. But it's a... (laughs) It's no hindsight. At the time, of course, the guy who's scored the most incredible penalty, he's scored 53 goals for his country, you know... Southgate would have been murdered if anybody else had missed the had missed the thing. Literally murdered. And so, uh, of course, Harry Kane has to take that penalty. No doubt about it. By the way, just to be clear, my own answer, I would hand Harry Kane the ball again for the third penalty if there was one. Yeah. I mean, just the agony. Harry Kane would have become England's record goal scorer if he had converted this thing. He stepped up instead and delivered this moment, which we would call... English SpaceX. No, he missed it! Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is part of that psychology. They very Baggio'd that one over the bar, didn't they? Yeah, I was at that game, I saw Baggio do it. He just got, the run-up was wrong. Pressure does amazing things to a human. Um, I'm sure he would make that penalty nine out of ten times, and this was the one out of ten pressure gets to you. I love the fact that Jude Bellingham was the first person up to him with his arm around him. If any England player is going to miss the penalty in that situation, uh, I'm glad it's Harry Kane, because Harry Kane is a professional. He is so respected across the English game. He's a great enough player that he can withstand that moment. He's achieved so much in the game. He will achieve way more in the game going forward. But yeah, heart-wrenching. And his, his apology to his teammates, him, his taking responsibility for it after the game is really crushing, heartbreaking. I mean, he saw Lloris go the right way, overcompensated, or as Karen09 tweeted us, St. Totteringham's Day is now a national holiday. At Chip Sanders 10 said, and this is true, in an agony, no one will remember Kane's 53 goals for his country. They will only remember the one miss. That is slightly exaggerated, but yes. it is how English heads kind of work. And as prophesied in my Insta Live, England did find a new way to implode, a new way to torture the nation, a new way to layer trauma on top of trauma, on top of past trauma buried alive our national dreams and to have was it to have the hero be the one to implode in this moment like the captain just the talisman harry kane to have him destroyed i was watching it it reminded me of i'm sure it did you too like the end of platoon where sergeant elias is just like that brave death in battle that's what it felt like we lost our hero and just look at mbappe's empathetic reaction <laughs> I mean, to be honest, he looks like he's taking a crap at that point. <laughs> By the way, if the French do not have a word for Schadenfreude, they now have a gift for it. And that gift is, how do you say? Now we all laugh on France. Um, Rashford grazes the bar at the death with almost the last kick of the ball and the final whistle, just a human agony for Harry Kane. Really, we discussed in the wake of the Euro final penalty miss, Rashford, Saka, Sancho, 
Kane's a record goal scorer. You know, he's a, he's a talisman. And, God, he should not become a target for keyboard warriors. But the reality is, already watching Twitter today, in a slightly sick, unhinged world, he will. And lucky for him, in that moment, Gareth Southgate was his manager, David. That Euro 96 miss. An empathy, a calming presence. There's, posit there's positives. A young core. And the fact they truly faced it. This was an excellent French team. They battled them, had 55% possession, shaded the game, lost it, but shaded it. England's longing, Dave. I don't care about them, but 58 years. It's a long time. It continues. Um, What's your feeling? Because you do care. Look, I think this was, a, this was a very, very different experience. And I think for any England fans in here tonight, I think you'll probably agree with me watching this game, is that... I am just incredibly proud of how this team played today. I mean, just, we have lost games. This is the best performance I've seen by England in a major tournament in my life because I was not that conscious when I was three months old in 1966 when England won it. Um, this is the best I've seen England play in any major tournament. I think this was worthy of a World Cup final. We bossed them in midfield. We played fantastically. It was a very, very different thing than the loss to Croatia in the last World Cup. It was a very different thing than the loss to uh, Italy in the Euros. And, you know, I know we've had to read a lot of tweets about the age of the US team going into the next World Cup. But you look at this England team, next World Cup, Bellingham 22, Saka 24, Rashford 28, Foden 26, Mount 27, James, Reese James 26, Ben Chilwell 29, Ramsdale 28, TAA 27, Conor Gallagher 26, Ben White 28, James Madison 29. Jordan, I Jordan hope Pickford. Gareth Southgate stays in the job. The English media have not brought the knives out for the manager. The English media have not taken their knives out for the players, which is something I never imagined I would see in my lifetime. Um, in fact, I found that le less likely than England winning a World Cup, I found less likely the English media not taking the knives out. And they don't take the knives out because the England team are on the right path. This was a great performance. It was a worthy of a World Cup final. France, superb, amazing goal, that cross, from Griezmann, that header from Giroud were worthy of winning the game, but I feel great about how England played today in the World Cup. Can I say, France, some battle, outplayed for large spells. I'm not sure what team he was supporting. I so will tell you, though, what I would like to do with that baguette. <laughs> and the answers eat it like Serginho Dest, but... They were outplayed for large spells. Mbappe silence. They found a way to win. They survived. They advanced. First defending champion since Brazil 1998 to reach the semi-finals. And it's so bloody hard to do what they're doing. When you've won it, you tune your manager out. Look at Spain, the best team I've seen in my World Cup watching lifetime. That team that won mm. in 2010. In 2014, they thought they knew everything. They were unfocused. They were cocky. They were arrogant. They let complacency kick in. With all of their injuries, France is not doing that. This is a joyous unit and a repeat of the 2018 final against Croatia yeah. is still on, David. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bon chance, you bastards. 
We are in the thick of it. The biggest tournament in world football is here. And at this point, it feels like it's been going on for about two months. DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top rated sportsbook apps, is where to go to bet on the tournament. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $150 in free bets if your pregame Moneyline bet wins. For even more action, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app toggle on the same game parlay feature and combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. If there's one thing that we love at Men in Blazers, it's toggling for multi-bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use code MIB, kick in $5 on any team and get $150 in free bets if your pre-game Moneyline bet wins. That's code MIB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. See state-specific responsible gambling resources in terms of DraftKings.com slash soccer. Omega is a proud sponsor of Men in Blazers' coverage of the 32-nation tournament. Business owners, this could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You may be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee through the employee retention credit for overpayment of payroll taxes during the pandemic. Omega Accounting Solutions is a trusted business advisor that works with integrity to maximize your ERC refunds. Call Omega now at 800-704-2000 to discover how much you can get back or visit omegataxcredits.com. Filing begins to close March 31st, 2023. So find out if you qualify today with a quick, easy, free 10-minute ERC consultation. Omega's funding division, Omega Funding Solutions, offers small businesses bridge loans to help you keep your business afloat while you wait for your refund. Call 800-704-2000 to get started or visit omegataxcredits.com. Morocco won. Portugal nil. An historic day for global football as the Atlas Lions become the first African team to advance to the World Cup semi-finals ever. The darlings of this tournament, unless you're Iberian. They score the game's lone goal in the 42nd minute when Seville's Youssef and Nesseri towered over Portugal keeper Diogo Costa to head it home. Morocco then proceeded to defend resolutely even once Cristiano Ronaldo came on in the 51st minute. And in the end... Oh, maybe we should discuss Cristiano Ronaldo. We weren't going we to discuss him. Maybe we will now. They deliver a massive win that was celebrated from Fez to Marrakesh, from Queens to the Edgware Road. History, history, history. Morocco taking the field, hoping to be the first African team to make a World Cup semi-final. A team not just playing for their nation, but for their region, for two entire continents. And rather than crumbling under the pressure, they seem to be propelled by the cheers and the sizzling whistles of their fans who come from all over the Arab world. Portugal, like bloody hell, some foe going into this one. They had found a rhythm, a 6-1 overwhelming explosiveness. They dropped their best player of all time. Ronaldo, instead fielding hat-trick hero Gonzalo Ramos, a.k.a. the Ramos they told him not to worry about. <laughs> and there he sat, Cristiano, on the bench, still the irresistible center of attention, the centripedal force for every camera. 
which is what he is now. And seeing him there should not take away from what he has been or what he was, which is a true great of the game, despite this sudden implosive and somewhat self-sabotaging late decline. And the game fell into a rhythm from the off. Morocco did not expect much of the ball, lowest number of goals, shots on goal of the teams left in the tournament. But it began on a terrain that Morocco would have dreamt about. Portugal began with the possession, but none of the urgency. And the amazing thing, watching Morocco in transition, striking with quality through Ziyech and Hakimi. I mean, it pisses me off when people are like, they're just defensive. They don't do it. When they choose to do something, bloody hell, this team do it lethally, yeah. clinically, Absolutely. creatively, ruthlessly. They knew they'd have limited opportunities and they knew they'd have to make the most out of them, just like Derek Ray made the most out of showing that he was born in the Lisbon part of Glasgow. David. Yeah, I mean, the pronunciation. Who knew it was Pep? It's not Pepe. I had it's no idea Pep. it was Pep. It's just Pep. He even said, it's he said in Brazil, like, he even qualified, he said in Brazil, they call him Pep. Hey, Pep. And Diego Dolo. And Bruno Fernandes. Portuguese players, are, uh, Portuguese players are walking up to Derek Ray saying, thank you, I now know how to pronounce my own name. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, I think there was a moment in the first half where Bruno Fernandes stopped playing, turned around and said, I, I don't pronounce it like that, but now you've said it, I'm now going to stop pronouncing yeah. my name like that. I had no idea Derek had that, eh? Then <laughs> it happened <laughs> when Morocco charged forward with numbers, they always seemed dangerous, and Atia Alas spanked a looping ball into the area. It seemed impossibly high, but Portugal keeper Diogo Costa was slow off his line and slower off his feet. And Josef Enesiri of Sevilla did this. They use him here, they do. They need a good ball from the left back, Atia Alas. Look at that. Just look at look, those hops. Look how high he is. It's an astonishing photograph, pod listeners. Just imagine this man posterizing the Portuguese goalkeeper like a Moroccan Vince Carter donkey on Frederick Weiss. NSIRI is a center forward with zero goals in La Liga this season. But there has never been a bigger goal scored by an African at the World Cup. Just imagine Greg Berhalter saying, we don't have an NSERI. <laughs> it was a goal that brings massive joy to Morocco, to North Africa, to the entire Arab world, and Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And CV Wolf tweeted, God, can Morocco complete the reverse conquista by beating both Spain and Portugal? Wow. I gotta say, when I'm happiest is when Men in Blazers and the History Channel just... Yeah. <laughs> Love it. On the bench, Ronaldo pursed his lips, he shook his head. He looked at us like, he was like, hmm, yeah, first Ghana came for my suey. Now Morocco are dunking on my teammates with a leap that was prime Ronaldo in his day. And Bruno Fernandes 
Almost immediately equalised, Thrash went off the bar. Morocco had only conceded once in Qatar. Portugal knew they'd have to throw the entire Cataplana pot at them. That's a Portuguese cutting, cooking pot that I googled. <laughs> <laughs> to dent their rock-like backline. It's good Google, isn't it? Yeah. I, I thought that would get more of a cheer in San Francisco, right? <laughs> wow, holy crap. Um, by the way, this defence, down two starters to injury, lost a third, Roman Sy stretched it off. Huge credit to the brilliant coach, Valid Regrigui, a, a gent who was mocked by the local media who called him Avocado Head when he was appointed three months ago. And Avocado Head was primed when in the 51st minute, Portugal flung on Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo's Willis Reed game, Davo. Amazing part of his substitution. I can't remember if we have this or not. We may not. In which case, I'm just going to say the amazing part of it, he came on and he kind of barked at the team to show he was a leader. The amazing part of it was, David, he kept his shirt on. Yeah. So he'd like just rip it off. Just like, you take the yellow. The, the size of Ronaldo's neck at this point, it is literally wider than the widest part of his face. It's the oddest thing. It's like his head sits on a plinth that is out of scale for the sculpture of his head that sits on it. This table is scale size, <laughs> Ronaldo's neck. Yeah. But he did. He kept his shirt on. He didn't go bits out, tits out, which was really showing a real, real maturity for him. By the way, tying Beidal Mutawi, the Kuwaiti's all-time leading appearances for a club, for a team, 196, but to no avail. Portugal's frustration grew. Ball after ball lumped into the box. Portugal created little. Few headers dropped right. How Felix, balletic drive, tipped over gracefully by Bruno, Bruno in goal, shut down a Ronaldo drive. Calm and flappable, Ted Stud Muffin tweeted us, Moroccan Bono is standing on his head. OG Bono might be relegated to Irish Bono soon. <laughs> Even down 10 men, with Chadira sent off, Morocco didn't bend. Three shots on their goal, two more than Spain managed, and it was Morocco who came closest to scoring the counter. Astonishing this, eight and a half hours of football, the Atlas Lions have not conceded to an opposing player. The one goal that went in against Canada was an own goal. And they even survived a bloody penalty shootout without conceding a single goal. It's, it's amazing. amazing. They're amazing. It's amazing. They are, this, is, this, is, this is a magical journey, and we are all paying witness. At the final whistle, Mabruk Morocco, 88 years after Egypt became the first African representative in the World Cup, 52 years after Morocco debuted at Mexico 1970, 32 years after the magnificent Cameroon first reached the last eight, Africa finally has its first semi-finalist, and it's magnificent. Yeah, it's amazing. And how wonderful that it's this team with the football that they've played, the style with which they've done it. Uh, there's been nothing fortunate. There's been no good fortune in this run. This has just been something beautiful, beautiful to observe. We'll talk about it in a minute, because they are disciplined, they're clinical, they're glorious. But we need to say Portugal exit. Last words for Ronaldo. This result really was like an alternative version of Last Dance, in which Michael Jordan's balls were clipped by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Yeah. Ah, hey there, very Brody tweeted, and Michael Jordan was the sixth man throughout the rest of the, that's the last episode of the film. This 
is how Ronaldo exited, straight off the field, alone, in tears, laughing, crying, like this. Portuguese Claire Danes. Yeah, it's difficult because uh, Ronaldo, the, the human, I have a lot of issues with. You know, the personality, the way he's handled uh, the last year, even just the whole preening show pony thing. He reminds you a bit of me, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> he lost a child within the last year. This has become an audience participation uh, <laughs> show. This is interesting. Uh, I'm going to talk about football because that's the only thing I'm really qualified to do. Um, I think that as a footballer, I look at that as an athlete and I think, wow, that is an athlete who started playing elite football at the age of six years old and now he's walking off in his late 30s and this is the end for Ronaldo of this incredible footballing journey. However you measure him versus Lionel Messi, however you measure him in the GOAT conversation, whatever bants you're involved in Twitter or in terms of your mates, versus Ronaldo of what he is. He has been one of the greatest soccer players that the world has ever seen. And I think that is a tragic, it is a tragic way to go out. And it's just a sad, it's just an ending. An end for any athlete at the end of an incredible career is very, very tough to watch. And I found that difficult to watch. It was difficult to watch. Watching an athlete his fifth World Cup, knowing that he will never win the thing. Uh, and that regret. Um, Although I wasn't sure whether he was crying because it's over or crying because Lionel Messi's still in it. <laughs> or, or maybe we missed a, a level and it was at that very second that his agent just informed him that he's moving to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it's going to be Alexi Lalas's housemate. Yeah. <laughs> but God, God bless Morocco. Can we just say the story? But Alexi keeps the sword. <laughs> and the hawk. And he's the never Falcons. coming back. Yeah. Guys, we've lost Alexi. Can we just be candid? Yeah. We've lost Alexi. He's never coming back. <laughs> He's never coming home. 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 Um, it's like, well, he is coming home, but he's going to come home again, like in Homeland. Yeah. But... <laughs> With Mr. Q. You can't be a sleeper cell if you never sleep. Yeah. Um, God bless Morocco. <laughs> God, I'm like the old Alexi. Do you remember him? That cool, like, that guy. Hey, yeah. The guitar. Hey, Hootie the and whole... the Bluefish. Yeah. Um, God bless Morocco. Can we just talk about Morocco for a second? The story of this tournament. They've drawn with Croatia. They've beaten Belgium, Canada, Spain, Portugal. Not a single goal from an opposing player has crossed their line. The Moroccan women qualified for their first World Cup this summer. These are incredible, incredible. Moroccan Rog and Devo are just having a time. Yeah. And they will face France on Wednesday, a game, <laughs> as they say, with a little bit of history, Devo. Yeah. Morocco being a French protectorate until 1956. And if Morocco beat the French, they will own the entire Mediterranean Sea. Yeah. This is such a complex crush of football and geopolitics and history. Simon Kuiper wrote a beautiful piece in the Financial Times, find it, 
14 of their 26 players born outside the country. The Atlas Lions, who wrote, mix the best of Arab football with the best of the European game. And this is ultimately the greatest diaspora team I've seen in a long time. And that's what I love about them, seeing the celebrations in Rabat, which is clearly no Philadelphia. They don't know you're meant to grease the bloody phone poles. <laughs> you know, I found the Moroccan community taking to the streets all over the world, unleashing their red flares. Great for the big red This is Queens, New York. This is Astoria. This is astonishing. And to me, this is the beauty of the World Cup. Just the sense of profound connection that it forms in moments of wonder across the global diaspora. And that wow. Drew Dufrentz 11 tweeted us, how can we forget? In 7-11, the Moors made their way north through the Iberian Palincia and headed to France. The European conquest moves forward. I'll say bravo to a wonderful team with life, structure, and passion. David, what a sport. What a moment when you see yeah, that. Yeah, this is moment. It's what the World Cup's all about. Um, and, you know, having been in those neighborhoods in Queens and Brooklyn with you, watching the diaspora in, in New York City, I'm sure the same thing here in San Francisco. It is just wonderful to see. But Morocco, just in pure football in terms, the quality of that football. You know, there were the articles before the World Cup saying that we were at the end of national teams finding their own national identity in terms of the way they played football. That hasn't happened. The World Cup is bigger than that. Morocco have played their own unique form of Moroccan football, the blend of the European game with the Moroccan game, with the African game, with the Arab game, and they've brought something completely different. We're seeing so many different contrasting styles in this World Cup, and it's what's so amazing about this tournament. Whatever FIFA do to ruin it, <laughs> It is so strong that you can't do it. I take great heart as the producer of Jeopardy with that, is that there's nothing I can do to ruin this great game if FIFA cannot ruin football. By the way, one tiny quick note, because I've got to inject this as an American fan watching Morocco. First up, watching them face massive teams, Belgium, Spain, Portugal, and beating them, smiting them, pragmatically, collectively. I admire it so much. There's so much about our American insecurity as a football nation that we constantly believe that we've got to play football beautifully. Like, I don't bloody understand it. I never have. Jurgen Klinsmann started it. Greg's kept doing it. We have to show the world that we can do it. We don't, we don't. There is no need. Play to your strengths. Play robust collective football. Seize moments in transition and offset pieces. Win, win. The Moroccans, they don't talk about, we must show the world that Moroccans can play football too. They just go out and they ball and they fight for each other. And here, they win and they brought joy. Yeah. They brought bloody joy. And the second is, I never want to hear about a round of 16 exit being acceptable for our nation, watching Morocco get to a semi-final. This is not to detract from Morocco. They deserve it, to be candid. But, like, we cannot say a round of 16 exit. We've proven ourselves to the world that we belong. You know, again, if Morocco can get to a semi-final, the United States men can and should and let's dream of more, let's plan for more. We can do this, America. Absolutely. Okay, Rog. Guessed it up, baby. The, uh, this, 
uh, quarterfinals set up Croatia versus Argentina on Tuesday, Messi versus Modric in a tussle for the ages, and then Wednesday, it's La France versus Morocco. Wow. Rog, we're going to have complete coverage of both of these games. We're going to be in Seattle uh, streaming each of them live on the Twitch. Just go to twitch.tv slash meninblazers and follow us so you get notified every time we go live. And Tuesday night, we're at the Showbox Sodo with special guest Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie and Postal Service, your mate Stephen Fry from the Seattle Sounders, and hip-hop legend Sir Mix-a-Lot, an old... You would though, wouldn't you? I, I would. A friend of the pod. A few tickets are left for that on meninblazers.com. Men and Blazers, we like to believe more is more when it comes to football, less Everton are playing, in which case, oh, less is always more. But one thing you can do to enhance even the Everton watching experience is to visit the GFOPs at Prize Picks. They're America's number one fantasy sports app. Test your skills on Prize Picks this season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you've got the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Tappity taps, mostly just picking what categories you want Everton players to disappoint you in and smashing the less. Thing I love about Prize Picks is, is how simple it is to use. They're now offering Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this soccer season. No more ferreting around in your wallet for that security code on your credit card that the computer never saves. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Let's guest it up. We need joy in our life. We need wonder. There's one human being who I know, Dave, who can bring it to us and then some. Okay, to the guest part of the show. Finally, someone who knows something about football on this evening's podcast. Joining us on stage now, a woman who really needs no introduction. And yet I'm going to give her one. The face and voice of Premier League football in the United States. Our guiding light, our North Star... A great friend, not just to us, but to hundreds of thousands of football-loving Americans across the nation. The mastermind behind Back in the Mo, that phrase that strikes fear and exhilaration into the hearts of all of us. Winner of the Golden Blazer, all-around incredible human being. It's the mother of dragons herself, the first of her name, protector of the seven kingdoms, breaker of chains, Mercersburg class of 1999, the one and only Rebecca Lua!
Dave. Hi, everybody. We do love Rebecca, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't stop there. That was amazing. Oh, my God. Rebecca. Oh. Bex. Yes. Commiserations. Oh, Rog. I know just how much you dream of English national team glory. Tell us, where did you watch the game? Tell us how your son, Teddy Buckle, experienced his first letdown by the English national team. Not his first. How did he experience glimpsing the abyss and then plummeting into it in the most traumatic way possible? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Teddy was in his full, he was full kit. He was full kit, Harry Kane, number nine. Um, he's still wearing it, actually. I think he might have worn it to bed tonight. But he is six and a half, and he is a, he's quite fickle when it comes to football. So he moves on very quickly. He's already telling me he wants France to win the whole thing, which I'm a wow. little bit upset about. Wow. I'm not going to... I know, I'm trying to teach him. I'll drive back up there with you tonight. Please with sort with him your out. husband, Paul, <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll have some words. Um, but we were just watching it at home, Rog. I'm not great at watching it with people. I just can't watch it with people. Um, to, That's what doing several years of television with the Robbies will turn up. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> so it was just us, and um, I was making a note or two, which I never normally do when I watch England, but because I'm doing this podcast, which um, you know about, with Brendan Hunt. Yes, um, which is super fun. I'd like to make a few notes so that we can go through the game later. Teddy now... There it is. Teddy now also makes notes. So Teddy gets a piece of paper and he will write down what I'm writing down, mainly about the referee today. Good, yeah, I know. (laughs) Didn't have a great game. By the way, Uh, we do appreciate you wearing your palace kit. uh, This is 2022-23 palace kit you're getting a a glimpse of. Steve Parrish is copying this. It's amazing. amazing. Just imagine a you brother in that. (laughs) Can Can you be candid though? We all watch a lot of football. You know, I watch a lot of football, you watch a lot of football. At that final whistle, what emotions, honestly, dig into them, because I want to plumb your, your deep trauma vicariously. It was trauma. It was what, what emotions did you experience? Well, I have to say, I actually think that when Kane missed the penalty, that you know when you've watched so much bloody football and you just know Kane doesn't miss penalties, and he, well, he occasionally, but he doesn't do that. And so with him missing it, I, the game had gone. I knew we weren't, even when Rashford had that free kick at the end, I knew that we weren't coming back. So the depletion of my mood started really when, when Kane missed the penalty at 85 or whenever it was. And it was just, it was just a draining of the hope. The hope is what we all keep coming back to this blooming game every single time. It's because of the hope. And when you get it dashed my entire life, as it has been, with England every two years, you just, you feel a bit of a numpty, actually. You feel like, why have I done this again? <laughs> but this was a different why have I done this, because it, we were really good today. We were really today. good. We were really good. Yeah. Dave, we were so good, but in a funny way that makes it worse. It does, you're right. I said this to Rod before the show. I would have show. liked Mbappe to have scored like a hat-trick after 30 minutes and be like, you know, fair enough. Fair like, enough. Fair we're enough. Not, we're not at that level. We're, we're not, not at, at that, that level. level. But, but we, we are, are at, at that, that level. level. And, 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 you know, and that's why I think moving forward, there's going to be big decisions that have to be made around Crystal Ooh. Palace legend, Ooh. Gareth Southgate, because 
We are at that level. We're going to talk about that. And there's another Crystal Palace legend who is available soon, possibly Greg Berhalter. <laughs> I watched him play. Uh, I watched Roger, him play. Roger would love us I'd to love take it. Greg I'm like, Berhalter. I'm like, shipping, I'm like shipping England the Greg Berhalter years. <laughs> but I love it. Didn't we almost have it all? Is what you're telling us. That's how you felt yeah. about today's game. But David, take it away, beautiful. So. Bad. <laughs> in our lifetimes, Rebecca, look, we have watched England's men fail so many painful ways. We've lost on penalties. We've deflated in the group stage. We've occasionally not even qualified. This was a new way for us to implode. We found a way, as I said earlier, to lose on penalties when we didn't even lose on penalties. <laughs> the captain self-destructing with the eyes of the nation upon him. We've talked all Aww. tournament. Harry Kane does not, however, get the respect that he deserves. Is he going to get even less respect now? How do you, how can you project what's going to happen to Kane now? Oh, how is gosh. he going to be seen? Is there always going to be an asterisk no. on him moving forward? You think about like Gary Lineker, you think about Gary Lineker, you think about Alan Shearer, like the pantheon of English giants. Even though he surpassed them in many ways, Harry Kane has never been there, I know. apart from for your son. I know. I mean, he's level with Wayne Rooney, isn't he, on goals, and he would have gone ahead of him. I know, Spursy, I know that's what you're saying, but it's, I can't really have anything bad said about Harry Kane because I think he is just magnificent in every way. My concern is yeah and, and you know I don't want to take a penalty from 12 yards in a World Cup quarterfinal. No I know that's not my job and there is an argument that it's 12 yards and you scored it once and you should have scored it again and you certainly should have hit the target. I understand all of that and I, I really do. Half of my brain really just is kind of mad at him. And then the other half of my brain and all of my heart is not mad at him. I follow his wife on Instagram, so I kind of feel like we're friends. And, um, and, she, is, and she is so sweet. And they're children. And they're just like, oh, I just love them. Okay. My concern, though, is if you're a Spurs fan, how does he not carry that forward? He, it won't happen to him what happened to Beckham in 98 with the effigy and all that. That's not going to happen. But it will be a subject that the away fans will kill him for. And the away fans, you mean the Arsenal fans and the Chelsea fans and the West Ham fans. Yeah. And the Palace fans. Yeah, the Palace fans, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the focus immediately turns, as yours almost did, immediately to what Gareth Southgate does next. And I do feel for him, it is a human ordeal being the England manager to have to make important yeah. decisions in that tabloid furor. Even when they play well, this England team constantly have to silence the critics, quote, and, you know, tsunami of feedback, which is like, play effing Rashford, drop bloody Hendo, he's bollocks, play Tom Davis, you nitwit. That no. last one was me. <laughs> no, no, um, no one says that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very small minority of England fans. Can I get the worst Pleading clap? for Tom Davis to come Can I get the worst on? clap of all, of all night and say, can we hear for Tom Davis, please? By the way, if anyone was sent the San Francisco of Everton footballers, it's that man. Um, <laughs> yeah. But will Gareth Southgate continue into a fourth tournament campaign? Because he is going to get it, ultimately, in the English way. We do have to cut our heroes down, don't we? Rog, I love Gareth. I watched him for many a year at Selhurst Park. I think he has done incredible things with this England team. He is the second most successful England manager after Sir Alf Ramsey. He is a wonderful human. I've met him on a number of occasions. He's no Simon Roger. Thank you. He is no Simon Roger. I did actually see him miss a penalty for Crystal Palace 
about a year before he missed it for England. So I was Whoa. like, oh, no, don't it's take consistent. it. consistent. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I have a but coming on, and that is that after three tournaments, semi-final, final, quarter-final, with this group of players, I'm, I'm not sure when push really, really, really comes to shove and we're talking basically substitutions. I don't see, can you give me the evidence that he makes in-game decisions which put us over the line? He doesn't, as much as I absolutely love him. I've got very serious now, haven't I? But I absolutely love him because I think he's such a statesman and he's such a leader and he's a good human. Yes. But that's separate. But you're asking for a period of reflection, a period Just of a contemplation. Reflect. Let's take a moment. Just Let's take a think moment. About it. He makes six and a half million a year. Not a bad salary. No, no. And, he, and if he goes now, I think he goes with everyone. Huge round of applause and many, many thanks. Yeah. I just think if we go to the summer of 2024 for the Euros and this happens again, whether it's quarter, semi or final, with this group, I keep coming back to it, but this is the best group of England players I've seen since oh, 1990. I've read their ages. They're going to be even better next time. They are June. rather like America. It's very similar. America have an amazing group yep. of young players coming up. England have an amazing group of young players and coming up. And he's taken them so far. Yeah. But I think they can go further. But Brodge can take them further, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no. anyway, I'm not, believe me, I'm not advocating would that. You, would, you, would you have Gareth Southgate as US manager? Yes! Wow. That's a great idea. And actually, I've heard all sorts of thoughts about, apparently, he does quite like... The United States is an assassination. Whether he's that be Major League Soccer in America, he's Gary Southgate. Gary, he's texting Gary. Southgate. It's a very different man in America. No vests. There are no waistcoats. Yeah. No waistcoats. Well, it's just he's like <laughs> what? he's like what. He's, Gary, he's driving Rob. a yellow Lambo. He's De like on you sunset. You spell your I name with three G's now. It's yeah. Gary. Garrett. Derek Ray will tell you it's pronounced Gary. I love it. Um, by the way, Derek Ray, can we have a quick question on that? On Derek? Yeah. God bless him. I mean, what the Derek fuck is Ray. going on there? I the mean, we've the pronounced every player's name wrong. It's like, oh, it's like, I, absolutely. It's like Peter he's Parker amazing. was bitten by a spider and turned into yeah. Spider-Man. Did Derek Wayne once, like, just make love to a Rosetta Stone book and just, like, I have a superpower? Oh, Derek. How is Derek Ray not working for the CIA or MI5 or the State Department? He would be the most brilliant spy of all time. He speaks every language fluently. I love him. He's a I national treasure. He is. I mean, in every country that he speaks the language. Yeah, it's, it's, Rogers mentioned this, is that when he first came to, the tragedy of Derek Ray is when he first came to America to be a commentator, <laughs> they made him commentate in an American accent. I know, and now it's, which it's is, still uh, kind of there. And by the way, it. it was brilliant. It was the best of, Americans would watch television thinking, I'm not American enough because I can't speak <laughs> like that the way that Derek Ray You do, you do know this. Derek Ray came over to commentate on MLS and MLS thought that Amer Americans wouldn't watch MLS unless an American was commentating on it. And so they made Derek Ray That's do crazy. an American accent. Derek Ray just turned around to them and said, what kind of American accent do you want me to do? Do you want me to do like a suburban San Antonio middle class aspiring to like upper class yeah. accent? Or, I mean, just be more precise with me. When, I can't work when like this. Says, when Rod says they made him do an American accent, they is Alexi Lalas. <laughs> okay, no. it does pain me to say these words, uh, okay. Bex, but you've got to credit France. 
today. Do you? Their injury list. <laughs> their injury list. They're missing N'Golo Kante. They're missing the reigning Ballon d'Or, uh, Karim Benzema. They're missing Pogba. Somehow, looking at their Euro 2020 performance in this one, they've looked better without the players that they've been missing. How do you understand how France are this good? I know it's difficult. We went on holiday there as, 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 as teenagers. Not we, did, we. We didn't we, go together. I well, know, but... <laughs> But we, I did a French exchange, yeah. I, you I mean, did a I French did a French exchange. exchange. You did a French exchange. Who didn't we do went a to the exchange. same boarding school in America, we weirdly. We have we lived bizarrely the same lives. That is true. I'm a little bit younger than you, <laughs> and so you did a little bit ahead of me. But um, I just. I, we had similar lives. Well done. For, I mean, yeah, well done, France. I mean, well That's done. That's it. You won't give them any more. I, I, I mean, love I, how hard you are. Well, I'm, it's day one, by the way. This happened this morning. So yeah. talk to me about France next week. Right, I mean, yeah, well done. Next right. week, you'll be crying about them. You'll be C- like, oh, they're Morocco. so good. Come on, Morocco. <laughs> We're all Moroccan. <laughs> Won't have, she's not having it, Rog. She's not having, it. She's not having the French. Sorry. She's We're not all ha- Moroccan. She's not, it's so London. I'm not having the fucking French. I'm not having them. <laughs> I'm not having the French. I don't fucking like them. They smell. I don't like their food. I don't like the way they are. I don't like the way they speak. I don't like the French. I'm not having it. We've just gone so London. I don't have a Scooby-Doo. Don't, um, have, a, don't have a Scooby-Doo. Can we, can we talk about the United States? Are we allowed to talk about Definitely. the United States? Definitely. Thank you. I mean, let's talk new citizen to new citizen, Bex. Yep. That should have got more of an applause new line. Citizen. Like, She's a new citizen. <laughs> Rebecca Lowe, American. This is amazing. It's crazy. That is crazy. That is crazy. Amazing. amazing. That is crazy. What do you make of how our boys played? One draw that felt like a loss against Wales, a draw that felt like a win against England, a real win against Iran. And then school by Van Gaal and the Dutch. And, and Greg Berhalter said the normal stuff. We proved to the world that America belonged. But man, I said earlier, you watch Morocco and their delirious march to the semi-final. Yeah. At what point does a round of 16 exits start to just feel like a disappointment to us now, here in America? I, now, Rog. I mean, now. The, the, I felt that USA played better than maybe USA fans felt they did. I mean, Brendan on the podcast... I, you know, he was really down. I really think that you guys showed a, you guys showed a Gio lot. Gio Reyna in the audience. Yeah. Oh, Gio Reyna. Did you see his goal, by the way? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the friendly. Oh. Oh. Gio Reyna's back in form because he's so yeah. well-rested. See that Gio Reyna? He's so, he's so angry. <laughs> he's banging them in from 75 yeah. yards no, in his, friendlies. His yeah. coach said in German, just hit the ball as if it's Greg Berhalter's yeah. head. Yeah. That's, a, that's a weird situation which needs to probably come out at some point, which it probably will. But I, I think now, the, now is, there is never going to be a better time than right now, four years away from a home World Cup, to start to shake off the complex or... I don't know what it is... But that you're talking about, about, no, we don't need to prove anything anymore. We have the ta- we, It's a really good job for somebody. If Berhalter stays, great. But if he doesn't, I think that's a really good <laughs> job for somebody in this country with a home You're World using Cup. the subjunctive. Were he to not stay, <laughs> were there to be another option, right. this right. would be in a- the subjunctive. Yes. It would be, yeah. were he to go, a good job for someone. Correct. And I think I heard the other day, somebody said that you, 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 USA, would, are going to be a favourite to win the whole thing in 26. I'm not sure about that. 
That, that was a, by the way, that was a Davo piece of bullshit. I would never. No, I didn't say that. No, my point is, I'm always is I don't think this. the U.S. will ever go into another tournament as underdogs again. I don't think they, it, I don't think they will, and I don't think they should go into another. No, tournament No, I agree with you, and, and let's be honest. You. you know, I, I, I think this World Cup in 26 is going to be the, the changing moment for the history of this sport in this country. It's going to change everything. I really think it is. And then, by the way. We will remember the days when the World Cup was won by South Americans and by Europeans, never England, because you guys are going to win it a lot as we get older, a lot. I just got an image of like the 2026 World Cup kicking off here at Levi Stadium, Rebecca Lowe singing the national anthem, and it's going to be amazing. Hit those high notes, get into that scale okay. midway through. You've, you've basically already answered my next question. Okay. So instead, I've got a list of uh -oh. various broadcasters at NBC you've worked with <laughs> and executives. Stop I'm going to say their names. Stop it right now. And I want you to just give me one word, like word association game. No, I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> I know, but it's good. That was fun. I don't have a question. Rog, your question. Your question. Carl Martino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, David, why don't you ask about Greg Berhalter's future? Yeah, I felt like we already asked about that. Mm. You didn't? Yeah. yeah Do you think he should stay on? Do you think he's shown enough? If to I'm Greg, I'm 100%. Give me the contract right now. I hear that he might not want to, but if I'm Greg, yes, I'm. give me the job. And, but I want four years. I don't just want two. Give me the next World Cup because I want to be, you know, all the commercials. I want to be in the front of everything in four years. If I'm US soccer, I might have a little look elsewhere yeah. just to see what's out there. Yeah. Just to look at the options. This is a really good team. They're babies. We need, I think we might need a, a world class level somebody who has been there done it in Maybe. terms of played a bit against the really really big teams whether that's club football or country and has faced all the systems and has faced all the um situations he might find himself in because with this team you can do great things i just think you might need that next someone level. who's that managed in, in luton perhaps would be what like who 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 could who do i think could be u.s men's national team manager i mean yeah i mean you there is no ceiling, Rog. There, in my opinion, this is one of the best jobs in world football. So there Pep is no Guardiola ceiling. has Why been not? thrown out. Carlo Ancelotti has thrown out. Jesse Marsh, a lot of people I are think he, I in. think Jesse Marsh would be great. I think Jesse Marsh would be great. It might come too early, but Tim if you're Rick. Jesse Marsh, <laughs> as his assistant, it's if too you're old. Jesse Marsh... It's too old. Uh, Steve Kerr, I like that. Guys, we all know it's going to be Bruce Arena, but... <laughs> it is. What? It is. Well, it is. It's always Bruce Arena's job. It is. Can, by the way, can we just compare the way English media treat their manager, which is hostile, filled with antagonism, and the way the American press treats a U.S. manager? We're a much more nourishing culture. How, how would you describe the differences between the two? Because it is fascinating. Yeah, although they really like Gareth. I mean, they they, he's done a brilliant job, Gareth has, with getting the press on side because previous England managers, yes, completely annihilate, lambast, make fun of, put them on the front of the newspaper as a turnip. Remember Graham Taylor? Yeah. He was a turnip on the literally front of the Literally a turnip. Literally face on a turnip. Yeah. Um, they took a turnip yeah. and they photoshopped yeah. his face on yeah. top of a turnip. But it was before Photoshop was even very good, so it was yeah, just like a Taylor turnip. <laughs> they wouldn't do it that was, to Gareth. They did it in tapestry. It was, they did it, yeah. <laughs> 
They, were, they wouldn't do that to Gareth because Gareth has worked the media very well. But, but he's not immune, but he's much more immune than previous managers. But the reason why everyone is so much softer, I think, in this country is because you don't have an American NFL team to kill somebody. I mean, they don't have an NBA team other than at the Olympics, but it's different. It doesn't, it's not taken in the same way. It's not, see, it's not the be-all and end-all of this country. It's the be-all and end-all in England. It just is. And one day it will be the be-all. We'll be long gone. But it will be the be-all and end-all in this country. Roger, it's coming. It's just, he, Greg can, can do almost anything and be okay. It's just not, there's not the spotlight, is there? There's not the spotlight. Because there's other things going on here. Nothing else going on in England. It's just no, football. That's it, basically, yeah. It's just football. Basically, yeah. Yeah, we have darts. <laughs> we got the crown green bowling. Exactly. They literally put crown green bowling on television. Yeah, they literally do. Snooker. Snooker. We love snooker. Love snooker. Love snooker. When we grew up, there was a long, uh, hour-long show, I crap you not, of a sheepdog rounding up sheep. Oh, I love, oh, I love what? Love the sheepdog trust. I grew up watching it. It was called One, One Man, Man and, and His, his Dog. By the way, which is just oh, wrong. I mean, what about brilliant. the women's cow shepherds yeah. or whatever they're called? I mean, it was called One Man and His Dog. And we would watch, yeah. like, just yes. for hours. Just... Sexist rubbish. It, it was yeah, it's like an old man, like, with a <laughs> cigarette in his mouth, just go, oh, boy. Wait, wait, sweet, wait, 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 wait. It was on BBC One. I mean, that it was, was on, on BBC like, One in prime time. On Sunday night. Yes. Yeah. Before songs of praise. Yeah. Oh. Songs of praise. Songs of praise. Songs of praise. Hymns from a church in the Cotswolds. That was. I mean, that is amazing television. There was a British television show where they go to a different church for an hour every night. Yeah. And they were like, today I'm in Norwich East Anglian Community Church. Hymns. Yeah, also in prime yeah. time. And we'd watch it also to in prime time. To be a pilgrim. <laughs> I mean, like singing along. Onward Christian soldiers. Loved marching. it. Loved it. Formative. And, then, yeah. and the Americans watched it and were like, we're going to do that, but we're also going to ask the viewers for shit loads of money. Yeah. We invented televisionalism. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have the tans. We just did not have the suntans. And Americans watch one man and his dog and turn it into the NFL. And yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> we do everything better over here. We oh, boy. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Who's going to win it all? Yes, that's it. Argentina, Croatia, Tuesday. Um, oh, because my hope's gone. My yeah. hope is dashed. The heart is empty. How do you stay in it? So I have this script. Like, yeah, how Because I'm doing a podcast. I know, if I wasn't doing a podcast. And we're we're still be... on tour. Like, yeah. how, tour? Do, we, how yeah. do we continue to find interest in this? I don't know, mate. This? I haven't got a clue, Davo. Okay. Because I'm going to, from tomorrow morning, I don't care two hoots about this World Cup. We but I'm going to have... be professional and do this podcast. Yes, but we still have some Premier cool. League interest. I know, but still, it's gone, isn't it? It's gone, that magic, that, that hope. The hope's gone. Yeah. I think I think You're I think the crazy. French will win it. Do, you not, win do we it. not? Do we watch for the football or do we watch for lawless madness? <laughs> I mean, that I was on the list of do not discuss subjects with Bex, Rog. I love the World Cup. Okay, I back to my World list Cup. of NBC executives. Rebecca's going <laughs> to do the Premier League when it comes out. She's going to be there with her shirt sleeves ripped off and a bandana on and a pair of white sunglasses. It's going to be very different, the Premier League coverage, okay. when we come back. Oh, motherfuckers.
Democracy and freedom. Here's Arsenal against Sheffield Wednesday. Dave <laughs> Okay, I can go to this question. This yeah. might have relevance. Uh, you are sadly not on our TVs this tournament, Bex, because we could have done with you, frankly. You'd have been amazing. But you are in our ears. You've been doing the World Cup pod with our friend Ted Lasso creator, Brendan Hunt. Yep. Roger's been doing a pod with him. Yeah, he's been he's on been Celebrity that. Jeopardy. You've been number one on Apple Podcasts. I know. Since two days after the premiere. I mean, honestly, we'd expect nothing uh, less from such a joyous combination of human beings, of bipeds. Aww. But I'm curious, your normal job on NBC is as host. You are the one asking the questions, teeing up other people yeah. to voice opinions, queuing Robbies <laughs> to be doing this pod now yeah. where you're the answerer yeah. rather than the asker. I mean, there is the lowdown, big fan of the lowdown. It's massive. But <laughs> essentially... This is Rebecca Lure hot takes on censored. <laughs> what has that experience been like? Um, re I think a bit jarring for everybody, actually, because of what you say, hot David. Hot takes on censored. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Lordy. Um, because, yeah, I'm just, I ask questions for a living. I just point people in directions. Robbie, Robbie, Tim, whoever it is, I just point Oh, boy. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One woman and two dogs. <laughs> I walked straight into that one. By the way, Google it tonight when you get home. Robbie, 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 Okay, so how's this been okay, different, sorry. Uh Yeah, so it's... Um, <laughs> Raj. Um, very, very different. I think that... Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's, been, it's been really fun to be unleashed like a dog. It has been really fun. Okay. Um, because I do have a lot of opinions. As my dad texted me after the first one, he said, you've got a lot of opinions. Wow. I was like, you sure do. Not a compliment um, from an English father. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. really not a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him, he's listened to every single episode. But um, yeah, so I, I love it, but I do, I'm, because I am quite opinionated, I have to just be a little bit careful in, in, in going too far, because I do have so much to say. Um, but it's just so, it is so different to what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I have had a bit of jip on social media. I've had a little bit of abuse on Instagram, which oh. I'm like, I think a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people. Your dad. <laughs> other than dad. <laughs> I think they kind of, you know what, they like what they like and they like to put you where you should be. And then if you kind of veer out of that at all, yeah. it's a bit jarring for them and they kind of push back a little bit. And it's, you know what football's like? And I think I said about, I love Jordan Henderson. He's a great player. He's super underrated, but I just don't think we need him in the team. It's just my opinion. But that means, therefore, apparently that I hate him, that I hate Liverpool, you know, and it's just like, oh, God. So that side of it has been quite difficult, I think. Um, but... On the whole, Instagram is a nice place, but occasionally you'll get that. I just, I love it. I just love to be able to just kind of be me in my, you know, at home, at, in my living room and do the pod. I love it. Can, can I say, I, swear, I, I listen to your, I adore Brendan Hunt. He is one of the most glorious human beings I've worked with. He is with. magic. He's an incredible, he's proper, proper football, and yeah. he's a very special human being. But to hear you 
unleash is an absolute delight, and I love Aww. every single moment of it. I hope we're all better off with a lot more, Rebecca, Thanks. to be candid. And don't let these idiots, don't even, just genuinely, ultimately, do not even read them, do not even think about them. Just keep being yourself, because the world needs, it's a better place with more authentic Rebecca Lowe in it. Rebecca Lowe. Thanks, we all, Thank you, guys. We've got one more for you. We've okay. got eight days left of this World Cup, which is a Hanukkah miracle <laughs> to be savoured and celebrated. That's what they say in yep. Qatar. Um, yeah, they, oh, they love Hanukkah. They love it. They, they love, love it. it. They love it. They love it so much. They love it. Hanukkah is up there with I rainbow know. armbands. But yeah. they... Just 16 days until the Premier League's back in our loving arms. And I don't know how you feel about that. You're rubbing your hands, podcast listeners. That means she's feeling great about the prospect. And I've just found in general, no one wants the Premier League back as much as Arsenal fans. And, and, and I love that. Like, World Cup football is narrative soap, but it's also crap football. And you Arsenal fans have become so used to seeing incredible football week in, week out. All the Arsenal fans are like, this World Cup's crap. <laughs> like, get me a collective that are really like, you know, Odegaard pulling the strings. Oh. And <sighs> At the same time, being an Arsenal fan right now feels slightly like being crushed under a crescendo of anxiety that if you wait too long, the magic will be gone, especially with poor Gabriel Jesus oh. out now for months. How do you feel about coming back? How are you mentally preparing to come back? And what words of comfort do you have for the Arsenal fans in our life? Well, five points clear is as much comfort as they need. Five points clear. I mean, that is quite something. We are going to come back live into your living rooms on Boxing Day from Arsenal. So the Arsenal-West Ham game, I think, is the last game. It's an evening game in England, and we're going to be on air all day with all the games. As always, I think we start with Brentford-Tottenham. So we're going to go to the Emirates on Boxing Day. So we're all going over to England for Christmas, and then we'll be, I think, at Ellen Road and then Old Trafford as well. I cannot bleeding wait. I miss Erling Haaland. I miss Odegaard. I miss Mo Salah. Are you having Christmas I miss Almiron. Are you having Christmas Day with all of them? And, like, and Lee Dixon and Peter Drury... And everybody all around, no. like someone in your little hats, pulling your crackers. <laughs> I love it. That would be sweet, wouldn't it? I know. No, we won't see each other until Boxing Day in the Mini Winnie at the Emirates. I haven't seen them. It's, a, it's kind of weird when we have these breaks, you know, whether it be the summer or this break, because you see so much of them. <laughs> see so much of them all the time. So we haven't seen each other this whole time. I know you saw Robbie Earl the other night, but um, and we don't even talk that much. I mean, we have like a text chain, but we don't talk a lot. We've got a conference call Monday morning, and then we'll be back at it. And I can't wait. And the World Cup is wonderful, absolutely wonderful, and it is the best of the best. At the same time, it does go kind of quick. It kind of comes and goes. And then it's kind of back to the day-to-day what we all love, which is the Premier League. Okay, they don't let you talk about this on air very often, but Uh-oh. Crystal Palace, yes! it's been, it's you know, lots of exciting things in the future. We got, yeah. the, we got the new training facilities down in I Beckenham. Know, I know, Love Beckenham. And yeah. uh, the new the, stand is the, coming. The new stand is coming, lots of things. How are you feeling sort of not midway through the season about, about the Eagles? I, I'm so, I'm so just still so chuffer in the Premier League. I'm not going to lie. I <laughs> know ever, it. <laughs> It's true, David. I left England in 2013 to go to NBC the same year that I went to watch Palace beat Watford in the playoff final at Wembley. And I thought, well, that's great. We'll do the first year. I'll be at NBC. Palace will be in the Premier League. And then like every other year of my life, they'll get relegated. And they're still blooming there. And it's magic. And I don't take any of, any of it for granted. Patrick Vieira, who I met at the Golden Blazer night. Oh, he smells so good. Ago, smells he amazing. smells so good. 
is is taking the club to a different level, one that we've not been at for a long, 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 long it's time. It's called mid table. I, I just I, and I'll take. Why you home off for mid table? I'll take it. Roger, I'll take I'll take 14th right now. I'm not I'm not asking us to go top 10. I will take mid table mediocrity for as long as I can get it. I agree. Are Everton going to get relegated this season? I do think I might have predicted that on the lowdown that Everton the were going to get relegated. Down. I love it. On the lowdown. And I did that on week one. I then reevaluated, said no. Then I reevaluated again and said possibly. And I think right now I'm still saying very good chance. Yeah. Rog, I'm really sorry. I mean, it's probably not going to happen because like, they never do, but. The lowdown is less a lowdown and more sort of like a mid sort of hedging your bets down, <laughs> really, is what it's sort of thing. Okay, Bex. We're going to see you back on our televisions, Boxing Day on NBC, not a moment too soon. You are, you are such a talented broadcaster. We are so proud of what you have achieved. You are so brilliant. Can I just say, also, we see people who are broadcasters who are arseholes offset like me. Like, when you meet me, (laughs) like, everyone here, come and have a beer with me after this so that you can tell the kids, I met him, and he's the worst, he's an arsehole. But Rebecca Lowe, what you see is just so authentic. That is the joy of Rebecca. It's why I believe your podcasting is so beautiful. It's an expression of your true self, and you are a great broadcaster. You're an even greater human being, and the world's all the better for having you in it and being with us tonight. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, please be upstanding for the one and only Rebecca Lua. Okay, Rog, it's time to welcome our next guest to the stage. Wow. What a guest it is, a Bay Area sports legend whose philosophies have transcended baseball to become (laughs) common parlance across organized athletics. And speaking of the athletics, he has been part of the front office of that great team across the Bay Bridge since 1997. He is a great friend of this pod, a punk rock spreadsheet revolutionary of baseball, a GM so great they cast Brad fucking Pitt to play him and the current Executive VP of Baseball Operations of the Oakland A's, San Francisco Bay Area. Please welcome Mr. Billy Bean. Let's say the Brad Pitt thing. They wanted to get someone who was, you are so good looking. They wanted to get someone so we just focus on the narrative and not how good looking you are, Billy B. You are an immensely handsome man. You are. And we sit here in an incredible moment for men's football in the United States. Regular pod listeners know how much Billy loves the growth of football in the United States. The dust has settled on the tournament that's ended painfully for our boys over there, but they left with their heads held high and with the attention of a whole new section of fans in the United States for whom this was their introduction to the soccer world. You're a long-time US soccer fan. What's your take on this, this one? I want to ask you this. 
we, le- we ended in the round of 16. Every time we end in the round of 16, the new fans are like, what if our best athletes played soccer? You know, like LeBron, <laughs> JJ Watt, Nick Swisher. Um, <laughs> but we are a nation of 330 million people. We should be better. What's your take on what if our best athletes played soccer and that myth? Uh, you, you know, as I've sort of grown to love the game, I sort of had this sort of arrogant, I was baseball, played the main three sports here. And as I sort of educated myself over the last 20 years, um, I realized how amazing the athletes are who play it around the world, uh, including the United States. And I remember when I went to Tottenham, uh, a good friend of mine, Damian Camoli, who, uh, and I went to Tottenham, it was about 06 or 07. I remember seeing that Robbie Keane, if any of these A's fans remember Mark Kotze, well, Robbie Keane was a striker and he was a, a UK clone, or not UK, he's Irish, but he was a clone of Mark Kotze, who was our center fielder at the time. They reminded me, they were making the same amount of money. And, and I think Michael Dawson was one of the defenders. Uh, yeah. And I remember thinking, if Dawson grew up in the States, he would probably be playing third base for the A's or the Yankees. But he grew up in England, so he's playing, you know, he's playing. What if our best athletes played baseball, is what you're saying. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, listen, you reach that. You reach that level. I mean, in the United States, these guys are uh, this idea. That, this, this idea that if Bjorn Borg and McEnroe had say had to play against LeBron, that they wouldn't be the top tennis players in the world. I think when you get to that level, the top, it, 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 saying that oh, other athletes could come in, I just think it's too skilled a sport. So listen, I have a. I mean, I watched Kristen Pulisic, and he's an amazing athlete, and they're getting better athletes, and. And I see this, and, I, and when I over go to Europe and I see the athletes playing in the Premier League, I mean, I was actually shocked at how physical the game was. I was under this impression that it was really not a physical game, but it's very, very physical. And uh, so, so I don't necessarily buy into that theory. Hey, I think the, the athletes who reach the top, uh, they deserve to be there. And, and if you substituted somebody else, that that's not necessarily going to make you better, you know, so. So to paraphrase, you're essentially saying Jordan Pickford would make one hell of a close-up. <laughs> David. So you've been a fan of the sport soccer since the days when you had to scour the TV guide to find a Premier League game on NBC. We were talking backstage about Satanta Sport that you used to watch Rebecca Lowe on. We now have such immense access to this sport in America. The USA-England game in the group stage has been reported to be the most watched soccer game on English-language TV in American history. And when you add in the Spanish-language broadcast, it's quite outstanding. Do you ever find yourself staggered by the growth and trajectory of the game in this country, how fast it's grown over the last 10 years? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, patronize the group here. I mean, certainly you guys have been part of that reason, in my opinion. Rebecca Lowe is, you know, it's a... I think when... When we when when the, when we saw the be, when Americans saw the best athletes in the world playing the Premier League when it started, I think that you know Americans want to see the best. You know yeah. they turn on and then when they see uh, when they see the Premier League every single week, I think that's really helped a, a lot. And and listen, the world's a smaller place. I mean, me and you talked backstage. For me, my interest has always been the world is a really interesting place. And I went to the World Cup in 2006. Uh, I think pretty people in this. Uh, Farhan Zaidi, who's running the San Francisco Giants, was yeah, a good friend of mine. And we went to the World Cup in 06. And we, it was during the middle of the season. You know, we went for eight days. We were 7-0 and when we were gone. So it shows you the A's didn't necessarily need me. But, uh, <laughs> but 
the world is much smaller. It's a really, and the one thing about the World Cup is just to see all these amazing cultures together, coming together. And Munich was, we stayed in Munich for most of the time. And I told myself I'd never miss another World Cup after that. And since then, I've missed every single one. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think the world's a, a really interesting place. And for me, soccer was a great sort of portal to sort of meet amazing people and go to, I mean, you know, if you want to see the best football, soccer in the world, you're going to Paris, you're going to London, you're going to Rome, you're going to Milan. It's, it's a, in, in that sense, it's very connective, and I find that incredibly interesting. I mean, it's also a fascinating realm because it's, you know, statistics. You've told me, like, Major League Baseball, the statistics revolution is there. You know, the NBA, Daryl Murray would say it's there. The football, it's still a relatively new level of data analysis, and... It's a fascinating, wild time to be alive in this moment in football in America. David and I have both fielded countless calls in the last year from American investors interested in acquiring a piece of a club team and stupid enough to think that we're going to help them <laughs> yeah. make the right decision. Or invest with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I get some of those calls too. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, 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 by the way, I never answer when it's 1-800-TODD-BURLEY. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Devo, we can turn our broth into the biggest team in Europe. I love it. And let's just say, not all of them understand why a Premier League All-Star game is a bad idea. <laughs> but from a business perspective, you know a lot of these investors. You're involved God, yourself. What is that. making every single American sports investor try and snap up a European club? anyone that they can get their hands on. It really is like an American gold rush. Almost like the next century, they've agreed football, global football is going to become an American-run thing. Yeah, well, I think, uh, listen, I think it's changed a little bit recently. I, uh, first of all, there, at, listen, the last 10 years at times, there's been a lot of capital out there to spend. And there wasn't a lot of American teams for sale, NBA, NFL. It just was really hard to get into the league. Mm. Uh, and there's, and listen, let's face it, there's something incredibly romantic about buying a football team, and in some cases, taking it from the ground up, because the bad thing about football is there's no floor. If you're a bad, if you pour what you do, that you can get relegated and continue to get relegated. But there's also no ceiling if you take a certain club. And you know, you look what Brentford's done, and you look at Leicester City, and, and so there's something incredibly romantic about that. Uh, challenging, and again, the world's a smaller place. And I think the other thing too is you see some of these sports. Fenway is the greatest example of what John Henry and they've done uh, uh, done with Liverpool and the Boston Red Sox. And I mean, you know, Chelsea has a connection to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I mean, it's pop <laughs> so, uh, it's a I don't work for the Dodgers. I'm just stating <laughs> I'm just stating facts. <laughs> so. Uh, Facts, boom! <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot of reasons. Now, the time now is really interesting because you have some huge sport, uh, clubs on, on the market in all sports. You've got the Washington Commanders on, on the market, potentially Phoenix Suns, Manchester United. Uh, there's been talk about Liverpool. So there are a lot of big clubs out there. So it'll be interesting to see what the response is, particularly when you look at sort of the macroeconomic you know, What are they looking for? I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, there's a lot of capital. There's not a lot of opportunity here. But there is something about the European football offering that is just like, they're like, this, this is what we're all getting into now. It, listen, it's really romantic. You know, I mean, John Henry, what he, I remember, the, I, I say this, don't want to sound like, uh, I remember 
when they bought Liverpool. I mean, they bought it for what, 379 million pounds, and it's a multi-billion dollar, arguably in the last two or three years, have been one of the top two clubs in the entire world. And what they've done with that is incredible. I mean, it was always an international sort of, you know, name from a football team, but now it's even bigger. And uh, I think people all have that sort of dream of taking, uh, you know, a, a club like that and turning it into, you know, something that's really never for sale, though. Is some of it, though, that they don't regard, they look at these clubs and they think they've been run like clubs and they haven't really been run like businesses? Some of it is that. And some of it is like, hey, we can bring some of our knowledge and some of our, the way we work, some of the things that you've done to the way that we analyze the actual game, and we can do it better than the people have been in place. In some cases, but there's also, I mean, listen, in fairness, don't make the assumption just because an American bought your team that it's going to suddenly be great. There's been plenty of failures, you know, <laughs> in that sense, too. So, you know, that sort of, you know, sort of hubris uh, has doomed a number of people over the last few years. But there's been, to your point, I think, again, I'm a huge fan of what uh, John Henry has done and Fenway Group has done with the Red Sox. I saw what they did with the Red Sox and took, you know, took that team and did what they did with it. And, and now what they've done with Liverpool. So uh, listen, if what you're saying is like there are some business <laughs> principles that, uh, I mean, have taken over there and it will work and you can be successful. But there's plenty of people who failed, trust it, me. It is amazing. Liverpool Football Club, top three club in the world and top two club in Liverpool. <laughs> one of the things, I mean, the influence, we talk about American influence, but one of the ways that American is, uh, America has influenced the Premier League is not through ownership, it's been through seeing these young baby eagles spreading their wings and flying at Leeds under manager Jesse Marsh. What do you make of what Jesse Marsh has done with that team, with Brendan, with Tyler? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Leeds because, I mean, they're, they're partially owned by the 49ers. So, yeah. uh, uh, and and, I'm and soon, to, soon to be very owned by the 49ers. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been friends with... You're uh, about to uh, be very owned by the 49ers. <laughs> you know, that's a great example. You've got a famous club. You know, Leeds is very famous, you know, for, for many reasons, some good and some bad. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, you got the 49ers in there, and, and I know the people at the 49ers. And listen, it's become a club that I follow because of the American uh, fingerprints all over it. You know, hopefully, um, you know, they stay up. And Jesse Marsh is fun to watch. I like, yeah. you know, he's, 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 it's fun to watch him, you know. And uh, he, he dresses pretty cool, too, for American, you know. Yeah. He wears a tight jean, which I appreciate. Here's <laughs> <laughs> a torchbearer, Jesse Marsh. What do you see? Because you're, you're a man that hires a lot of managers in your life. You've... In your life. That was me saying you fired a lot, but Jesse's amazing. I love him. Do not fire him, you bastards. And <laughs> one of the last frontiers for American football is elite coaching. That's ultimately it. Um, you know, our players are thriving. You know, the, our investors are going mental. But there's always been a disconnect between the playing and coaching quality coming from our shores. When you watch him, like, what will it take for us to bridge that gap from a coaching perspective? Got, you know, the one real gap in my sort of sarc, and I'll never claim to know it, because I, I didn't play the game. I didn't play it, right? And so I have no... Dave and I both did at the very yeah. high level. Yeah. level. <laughs> And so the, the one, probably the real big hole for me is sort of the, the understanding, the coaching, understanding uh, that part of it. Uh, 
But again, you know, when you got guys like Jesse Marsh going over there, you got players going over there. I think, and I believe it was Jesse. Uh, uh, I mean, I look, listen, when I look at coaching, I look at like the Red Bull, you know, the, the group there. Not, you know, they're doing something there and they're, sort of, they're creating coaches, you know, and many different, actually coaches, executives. And when you start seeing Americans maybe go through that system, uh, I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, the great thing is American players are playing over there now. I mean, you can go every week, go and look at how the American players are playing, and and, uh, I, and I think that's the start, you know, ultimately. So it's going to happen at some point. So going back to the World Cup, Billy, your entry point into the sport was club football, as we've discussed. But the World Cup, a tournament essentially played by all-star teams. It's high on emotion, but much lesser in terms of actual football quality. You're a statistics <laughs> expert. We often talk anecdotally about the difference between club and international football, but what does the data, the data, tell us about the difference between the two? Well, the t okay, here I've made the, okay, on, uh, I don't, we probably got some KMBR fans here, and uh, Brian Murphy's a good friend of mine, and, um, and Murph used to cover us with the A's, we a long time friend, he's a huge football fan, and so at the Euros a couple of years ago, I, I, I picked England, right? He thought I was crazy. Because I thought England at that time had some of the best young players in the world. Now, I'm probably a little bit guilty, like everybody, of being so familiar with the Premier League and all their players. But I just thought that they had this incredibly talented squad. And as it turned out, they, they ended up getting knocked out by Italy. Uh, yeah. But it was an Italy team that nobody expected to win. And, and so I'm going to get to your question here in a sec. So, so I said the same thing about England this year. I thought there was no dominant team. And I thought England can win it, right? Uh, well, they can't now, but... Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> now it's going to be hard. Yeah, be, yeah. Anything uh, is possible in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> but England winning the World Cup, probably hard. But, uh, but to your point, when you get to a knockout stage, it, it, it is that just a, a random event. I mean, you're, you're not... You, may, you probably aren't going to see the two best teams. It's possible, but the two best teams in the finals this year. It's, listen, it happens in baseball now. We've got 12, you know, we have baseball playoff teams and we had like three or four teams that won 100 games that got knocked out in short series. So the point is, is the data is a little less relevant when you're, coming, when, when you're talking about a one-off, you know, and you're going to penalty or, or shootout at the end of the game, match. So data is a little less. It's so bizarre, right? Because data, you're saying that it's also one-off, it's also unpredictable. And yet what we could end up with is a replay of the World yeah. Cup final from 2018 on this one-off situation if France and Croatia end up playing against each other again. Yeah, yeah they're true, yeah. I mean, and, and again, it, and if you look at, then you have the conversation about how few countries have actually won the World Cup. I know, very few. Yeah, but again, at a knockout stage, I mean, I watched, I, 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 I watched the, the matches yesterday were, were spectacular, but I mean, you know, the fact that you're sitting there and, and you're, you're uh, even today, you know, for Harry Kane, you know, uh, with a penalty kick. Uh, sorry, did I, did I scratch No, it's over? so crazy. Even in Jeopardy, I've taken the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions to a seven-game series <laughs> to try and establish the main winner. In the World Cup, it's still a one-off, neutral ground, yeah. one-off game. What, what, what was that, the, the Harry Kane second penalty miss for you as a stats head? What about it? What do you mean? Like, going up against his goalkeeper who yeah. knew him. Like, would you have sent him up? 
Harry Kane a second time, knowing what a penalty shooter he is, knowing the data against his own goalkeeper who knows him incredibly well. Would you have made a pitching change in that moment? No, 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 no. Because if you're having this conversation and you replaced Harry Kane and somebody missed, then you're probably, then you're probably the bigger fool. I I'm like sorry. the idea yeah. that Billy would have called Gareth Southgate in the dugout <laughs> yeah. and yeah. said, we've traded Harry Kane to Morocco. <laughs> Jordan Pickford's taking He's this no penalty. longer available. <laughs> yeah. And Harry Maguire has to take the penalty. I like that. But I love what you're saying. That it's just so wild. There's this one-on-one, -on -one, neutral ground. There's no statistics. Ultimately, the only statistic that matters is how loudly the players sing the national anthem, which is what I've always believed from the very beginning. But I want to know, Billy, last one for you. The Men's World Cup, it's coming home. 2026, San Francisco Bay Area. Yes. Levi Stadium. Stadium that is named after Jesse Marsh's just <laughs> denim constricting <laughs> denims. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I mean, just beautiful. It's just the symmetry of the poetry is just fantastic. So much money is about to pour into the game we love here. The profile poised to soar. You were an early mover into this game. You really were in this country. Uh, you gave it. You, just to be clear, you caring about it gave a real legitimacy early on for a lot of fans to sniff around this wonderful game of ours. You are still steeped in traditional ball, ball sport with the mighty A's. When you look forward, project with us, dream with us, Billy, the next 10 years with our flock of young Americans thriving in Europe on the field, please God that manager pipeline beginning to trickle over there too. Imagine like Bruce Arena managing Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why you laugh, you so cruel? They'll be really good at lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> and also that thunderous number of American owners, big and small, viewing audiences are soaring. Project forward how you see it. Dream with us. Tell us how you imagine. How big can the profile of the game we love become in the, in the nation we adore? Are we going to become a normal footballing nation, I guess, is what I'm asking. Listen, definitely in my lifetime. And again, I think, uh, no doubt. I mean, it's especially, and again, I'm thinking a bigger of transportation. I mean, the idea that there's going to be a time in our lifetime you're going to get from New York to London in a couple hours, you know? And I could see, I mean, it's probably blasphemous, but you could see, like, a team in New York maybe playing in the Premier League or something. I'm sort of speculating because, again, the world's a lot smaller place and, uh, or, you know, we're in San Francisco. I mean, uh, so, uh, I, I don't, listen, I don't think it's stopping my kids play, uh, you know, my, my kids play football, soccer. My kid plays American football. I'm trying to get him to stop, but he, but he, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but uh, but I mean my my daughter you know she she plays over at Carondelet here so uh, uh, yeah uh, but uh, so yeah I think you know it's funny you mentioned about when I first became I remember some of my friends in baseball they go you know, before we had Rebecca alone we had you sort of broadcasting to us they kept asking me why do you I remember watching the Champions League in the A's clubhouse one day and uh, and, and and it was during it was during and I had just gotten back from London and. 
Mark Kotze was with us at the time. And if I don't know, you guys will remember this, but it was when Bayern Munich was playing and the, the, the Dutch winger, uh, left footer. Oh, oh Robin. Robin. Oh, Robin. Robin. So he was kind of getting dressed, and I, we had the big screen in there, and Aaron Robin does that classic move where he comes in, he cuts in the same thing, and he scores. Oh, he, yeah, he does the arm, and then he cuts inside. Every yeah, time. And, and, and... You do not look into the vortex, because... <laughs> If you look into the vortex, you are temporarily stunned and hypnotized, and you don't realize he's going to cut inside. And, 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 what, and, and Mark kind of out of the corner of his eye saw this. And it was an amazing, even athletic move, right? And he does it every time, but it was like an incredible with this big screen. And Mark kind of looked at me, and he goes, holy cow. You know, he was impressed athletically. And then he asked me, he goes, how much money do you think that guy makes? And I looked at him, I said, more than you do. <laughs> And, and, uh, and, and so, uh, again, I, I think when you start having, in fact, it's funny, I got, I got Mark, when he retired, when, one of the first things he wanted to do was go to London. I got him tickets, I got arranged for tickets to Chelsea, <laughs> him and his wife, and, and I think Trevor Hoffman, a Hall of Famer, they went over there on a trip, and uh, he went to Chelsea match, because he would become so intrigued with the sport. And so this, again, when guys, you know, when our professional athletes, you got LeBron James, who's an investor. I think that sort of kind of cross-pollination is only going to continue to grow and become, and again, I think you're going to see sports platforms where team, baseball teams and football teams, European football teams and NBA teams are all sort of together in one big group, and that's going to sort of make it even again, all bigger than All because of Arhen Robbins' dodgy flapper. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, last question. Will we win the United States of America men? Will we win a World Cup? In, uh, thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I got the answer I'm looking for for the unidentified heckler in row 12. Good night, San Francisco. Um, all right, Billy, I'll ask you because, you know, unlike me, you, don't, you know what you're talking about. Will we win a World Cup, the United States men, in our lifetime? I absolutely believe we will. Yes, I do. I know, but we're asking you statistically. Yeah. yeah. No, I will like our last, our lifetime. I mean, Roger's yeah. lifetime. Roger's a little younger than me. Rebecca Lowe's older than us. And then there's, <laughs> then there's me. Then there's Rog. Um, but Rog probably give you a good innings. Forty. You're going to go into your nineties. So ten more World Cups. Got to I thought you were telling me I'm going to live till I'm 40, and I got no, really sad for ten a minute. Opportu ten, oppor ten opportunities, one-off games. It's like hard. Yeah. There have been so few winners of yeah. the World Cup. Statistically, how do you even process this? It's not like we're going to go into a league, a World Cup league, where we're going to play it every year. You get so few opportunities. No, but going to your sort of numbers, I mean, the demographics, there are 300 million people in, in a, the wealthiest country. In the, I mean, every... Every neighborhood, I mean, young men and young women, are, are young men and young women are, are playing football. Yeah. So uh, the demographics tell me. Is the know, wealth a good thing, though? I, I, I've said a lot that America would win a middle-class World Cup. America <laughs> is going to steam to the win. A working-class World Cup, I'm not sure America are really competing. I'm not is sure. Our middle-class kids, it's tough to compete against the world class. Wealth may not be the greatest help. I, I, listen, I think, again, I don't necessarily subscribe completely to that. I mean, some of the, I mean, I think, you know, great athletes come from all different, you know, 
socioeconomic backgrounds. Middle good. classes. I love it. It's good. <laughs> now, the reality is we can win this bloody... I'm going to answer this one. We can win Rogers this. Can the, 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 we, we have the great footballers here. The United States Soccer Federation just have to find them, recruit them, scout them, and identify them, and we will win this fucking thing. <laughs> I've never felt sure about anything in my life, but I do want to say... Your joy in football, your adventures in football, your brain, uh, this is why, uh, your brain turning to football, like, you, you, this, it started off as a curiosity for you to become an incredible passion, to become something that you are more and more obsessive about. We've talked about the players, we've talked about the coaches, we've talked about the investors, but ultimately it's your, the, the brain of you and the people like you that are turning your hand to that task that gives me just incredible confidence, Billy Bean. Tell us, what is it about it that has given you this joy in this moment? And when you could do anything in your life, you're Billy fucking B. <laughs> and the fact that you're turning your mind to football, 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 can you just leave us with that sense of what's driving you in this moment? I think part of it is the opportunity. I think some of the things, the changes that you've seen in baseball, I think baseball is one of the smartest industries in the world right now. I think uh, if you look, I mentioned Farhan Zaidi, who's running the San Francisco Giants. He's got, a, he's, got a PhD, he's got a PhD from Cal Berkeley in behavioral wow. economics. He went to MIT. And, and the, this isn't because of me, Michael Lewis. The great thing about the book Moneyball is that it created a, a meritocracy. Best and the brightest are working in baseball. I was an ex-player. I had an advantage. But now, if you want to be an executive in baseball, it's, it has nothing to do with your playing background. And I think it's become an incredibly bright industry and diverse, dynamic young men, young women. Kim Ng is running, running the Marlins. She's a University of Chicago graduate. Wow. And, and the, here's why I say it's one of the smartest industries in the world. You think about this. Uh, I'm competing for the same employees, Goldman Sachs, that uh, Google wants. I, I need the same skill sets in, in baseball. And this is what it's going to, I think, go in. The, the advantage I have is that I work for the Oakland A's, and they'll come work for us for 30 cents on the dollar because they love sports. That's interesting. And, and that, I mean that. They love that, sports more than they love money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you know, I mean, you think about all the young Chelsea fans, young men and young women who would love to work for Chelsea but maybe were never given the opportunity because they didn't play the game. And I think that's changing in sports, which is a good thing. And I think baseball has been on the forefront of that. And, and you're you, also seeing Sam Allardyce over there in England, and you're like... <laughs> I think that's a good thing, and I think, and I think that you're going to see, it, you're starting to see it in, in, I think you're starting to see it in football, too. And again, listen, running a sports team is, it, it should be about the best and the brightest. It, and, and in baseball, you are really seeing that, and I think you're going to see it in, in football, uh, and uh, that's going to make it better, in my opinion. I could literally talk to you all night about <laughs> sport, Billy Bean, but San Francisco, let's be upstanding for one of your own, our great friend, the one and only Billy Bean. Billy Bean. I just somehow think that the best and brightest are not working in Premier League football, Roger. Jack Grealish. <laughs> yeah. Is it camel? 
Mace told me he's a camel. <laughs> um, okay, Rog, we're getting ready to bring this night to a close, but we want to remind everyone listening to this as a podcast that we are, and you out here, that we're heading to Seattle tomorrow. If you're in that magical city, come and join us. If you're on the fence, let us just tell you that Sir Mix-a-Lot is going to be one of the guests. And even if you're not in the Pacific Northwest, worry not, we're also going to be streaming that show live on Twitch. Just head to twitch.tv slash meninblazers to check it out. That's also where we'll be streaming our coverage of both World Cup semifinals Tuesday and Wednesday. But for those of you here tonight, this was just the beginning because we're heading to the Rumpus Room for a drink. It's literally 300 feet from where we're sat right now. But before we finish, can you cap this magical night of nights off, my friend Rogelio, with a toast. Oh, can we have for John Johnson, our John theatre Johnson. producer? John Johnson. By the way, just so you know, this guy produced a Lehman trilogy, which is uh, half an hour shorter than tonight's show here yeah. at Men and Blazers. Oh my God, he also does, he's worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber, who I thought was out of the Arsenal Youth Academy, but is apparently like really into cats and shit. Um, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Oof. I want to raise this glass of Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in a shot glass, to this England campaign. Your boys, Davo. Thank you. Perhaps more fleeting than you would have liked. Yep. Filled with moments and promise of all that is to come. Fair. This team is so skill-packed, so young, so likable, so admirable. All of these things are wild if you grew up supporting England. And I want to raise this glass to the memories made for my parents, Val and Iva, for Aww. my brother and sister <laughs> and their families, for my own kids, to be candid, who love the English side of their identity, even though I've worked really hard to stamp it out completely. <laughs> for your son, George, who I know was heartbroken, heartbroken, absolutely devastated in defeat, but will carry memories of the feelings forged forever, which to me is the joy of this World Cup at the end of the day, the joy of England, the trauma, which feels so fatal in the moment. It leaves you with exactly the same number of limbs as you had before the final <laughs> whistle. We felt things. Deep things, hope, reinforced belief, fear, agony, WhatsApp group text by WhatsApp group text. And we will be better off as human beings for those experiences, for those connections, for those feelings of memories caused through football to rising harder, becoming faster, and going again. San Francisco, big love and courage. Vendepunk Rog. Whoa, big. How's the beer gun? Did you see it? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrogado, rock on me. Love you, David. I love you, Roger. Love you, San Francisco. Come and have a drink with us. Come and have a hug. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Courage. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would, in the plumber 27-year-old days? 27-year-old Shea would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.